This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Easy On Spray Starch. If time is your enemy, make friends with Easy On. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And we're joined by special guest uh, Juniper today. Juniper, our little new kitty, is in the recording room with us today, and so you might even hear her raspy little meow. (laughs) For those of you Stephen King fans out there, it is partially a reference to Juniper Hills, the asylum in some King stories, including the one where Bowers sees the moon turn into it, Pennywise. Yes. He's at Juniper Hills when that happens. But it's also because she was born in June. She's a little June kitty, so... Our June bug, Juniper, has joined the show. But really, what is this week on the show, Kelsey? It's a double feature. The late night double feature feature show. We are watching The Stepford Wives. The Stepford Wives from 1975 and 2004. And boy, let me tell you, this week did not turn out like I thought it would. (laughs) Neither did it for me either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start with our first movie, 1975's Stepford Wives, the original, an adaptation of the novel by Ira Levin. Of course, Ira Levin also wrote the uh, basis of Kelsey's, one of Kelsey's favorite movies we've watched on the podcast, Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Both of these movies are about men who move into a new home, sell their wives for personal gain mm-hmm. as part of a local sinister conspiracy. <laughs> uh, he also wrote a play, Death Trap, which was eventually turned into a movie with My Cocaine <laughs> and Christopher Reeve, where the wife is the victim of a plot, including her husband, for his personal gain. So uh, it's just a thing that Ira Levin does. does. Not like husbands. <laughs> it's also written the screenplay by William Goldman. If that name sounds familiar to you, it should. He wrote Princess Bride, including the novel Princess Bride, Yay. which is great. I the Princess Bride is one of those great examples of a movie and a book both being equally good for, like, different reasons. <laughs> if you ever read the Princess Bride novel, do not listen to the audiobook version. Because, like, the only one that exists is an expurgated version. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, read the whole fucking thing. It's great. He also wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which Catherine Ross was in. We'll talk more about her in just a second. The movie was directed by Brian Forbes, and it stars Catherine Ross, Paula Prentice, and Peter Masterson. Catherine Ross, as uh, in addition to having been in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, she was also in The Graduate. Yes. Famously, that final shot, which required some 
subtle but telling acting on the part of both actors. So I guess go watch The Graduate. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't already seen Uh it. There is another star in this who uh, doesn't do much, but that's Mary Stuart Masterson. She's one of the daughters in this, but you might recognize her as June from Benny and June. (laughs) Hence, uh, we got our little one over here who's a June bug. (laughs) And Watts from Some Kind of Wonderful. And she's the actual daughter of the man who plays her father, Peter Masterson. That's so funny. Kelsey, what is The Stepford Wives about? In more detail than I said earlier. A seemingly perfect suburb where the women know their place and the men enjoy their lives. A family moves there and they slowly discover that it's not as, that the perfection isn't natural. Yep. You can watch the movie on Tubi with ads and that's basically it if you want to stream it. That, those, that's your only option. Sorry. <laughs> Should people watch The Stepford Wives? Yes. I absolutely think you should watch it. I think it's very good. And I if I don't know, I don't remember if I actually said this on the show last week, but if I said that I preferred the new one to the old one, that statement is no longer true. I will say I don't prefer the new one to the old one. That said, this was not as good as I thought it was going to be. Really? Yeah. This is actually way better than I remembered it being. I remembered not liking it. I wrote down somewhere here in my notes, and we'll get to it, that you know I am a very patient movie watcher. I love a patient director. I love patient actors. I love a patient cinematographer. While I really enjoy this movie, and I think it is, for the most part, very well made, if something isn't immediately happening on screen, it's pretty dull, actually. Wow. Yeah. And I normally, I'm normally the one that gets bored. Exactly. So something about it, and maybe I'll discover it as we dig through our notes here. I still think you should watch it. I had never seen it before. This is my first time seeing it. So I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to expect. I had a general sense of what the Stepford Wives were. I had seen, had I seen the remake? I think I've seen the remake before this one. But still... Everyone knows kind of generally. It's part of the cultural zeitgeist. Like, you know what the Stepford Wise generally is. But I didn't know the details. And there's a lot that I really, really liked about this movie. But then a lot more that I was like, come on, let's go. Wow. (laughs) Pick up the pace. (laughs) Something please happen. (laughs) Chris does not like things from the female perspective. That's not true. He doesn't like their songs. Okay, that's true. He doesn't like but not for the reasons you think. From their perspective, that's absolutely not true. I will tell you the other Ira Levin movie, Rosemary's Baby, is superb. I love Rosemary's Baby. Uh, This is just not up to the Rosemary's Baby standard, like at all. Listen, it's good. I will say, but could have been way better. Oh, it could have been better. It definitely could have been better. I feel like this director was not as well-versed in suspense as Polanski was, which is funny because wasn't that one of Polanski's first movies? It was his fifth movie. He did uh, Knife in the Water, Repulsion, semi-famously, uh, Cul-de-Sac, and The Fearless Vampire Killers slash Dance of the Vampires before he did 
Rosemary's baby. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So he was more well-versed in in creating suspense. However, I feel like, yes, Rosemary's Baby is a better movie, like I said. It makes the audience feel like it's with her. But this movie, I feel, is almost more realistically, like... Sure. Because they're so secluded. Whereas Rosemary's Baby, like, she's... You're in New York. You're in New York, and she's constantly seeing, like, no, this isn't normal. This isn't Uh natural. Whereas she is being put in a place where you are the only one that thinks this is crazy. Yeah. You know? Like, there's no other outside influence, and I think... That would make it be less suspenseful. I think it it would make her feel more like, "Am I wrong?" Well, I, yeah, I think Rosemary between, knows she's not wrong. Between these two movies, this is more gaslight the movie than Rosemary Rosemary's Baby is, which is to say that Rosemary it. is getting gaslit. Yes, yes, but yeah, no, for sure. I just think that story aside. The execution is better in Rosemary's Baby than it is in this. Yes, um, by a long shot, even I would say. But not that this is a bad movie. It's still a good movie, and I would sort of tepidly recommend that you see it. I wouldn't suggest you stay away from it or anything like that. But Kelsey is more on board, which is bizarre. It is really, really bizarre. Once you watch this movie, this is much more my kind of movie than it is Kelsey's. (laughs) So anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1975's The Stepford Wives. In the town of Stepford, the men are getting exactly what they always dreamed of, perfect wives. And the dream is becoming a nightmare for the Stepford Wives. A very modern suspense story from the author of Rosemary's Baby. The Stepford Wives, about what men can do behind closed doors. Uh, They were telling me about the men's association. Right now, it's strictly men only. Not to mention that creepy men's association. We moved here about two months ago, and Ed joins this men's association. Anything that gets him out of the house nights is fine with me. I like to watch women doing little domestic chores. You came to the right town. I want to please him now. I'll just die if I don't get this recipe. It took me so long to get the upstairs floor to shine. Charmaine's changed, Carol Van Zandt's changed, and so have all those other women's club members. I'm getting the hell out of Stepford. Bobby, it's gotten to you now. I just want to look like a woman. And you're not going to leave Stepford either, are you? Leave Stepford? Charmaine changed. Carol Van Zandt changed. She's changed. And stop telling me I'm crazy. You see somebody, you get some help. You, you see a psychiatrist. I think the men in the association are behind it. And my time is coming. Everybody's out looking for us. So don't panic. I want my children! Charmaine changed. Bobby changed. And my time is coming. Columbia Pictures and Palomar Pictures present Catherine Ross and Paula Prentice in The Stepford Wives. Oh, no. A very modern suspense story from the author of Rosemary's Baby, rated PG. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does The Stepford Wives begin? We meet our main character, Joanna who lives in the city and she's sitting there like listening to the sounds of the city as if she's going to miss it. And then later on, she will actually say, I I miss the noise. The noise, yeah. As she's getting ready to go, she's got her two young daughters in the car. Like Chris said, one of them is... Mary Stuart Masterson. Mm -hmm. And 
she sees a guy walking through the streets of New York with a dummy of a naked woman. Mm -hmm. And you would expect that in New York City, right? Just random shit happening, sure, yeah. But you see that she has children, and you would think maybe that the mom would be like, oh no, kids, hide your eyes, or whatever, but she does not. It's just a she, mannequin. She's intrigued <laughs> by it and takes pictures of the yeah, situation. Uh-huh. When the father gets in the car, though, the kid will say, Taddy, I saw a man holding a naked lady, or whatever. And he goes, that's why we're leaving New York. <laughs> and you just, you... But he was a little playful about it, you gotta admit. I think they're very clearly defining characters here. I believe you, yes. I think they're very distinctly showing you this is not the life he wants for his kids, even mm-hmm. though his children are daughters. I have a serious issue with the fact that, like, these men have children. Like, it would be more believable if these people did not have children. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. No, I don't think so at all. I think that men who want to dictate what happens and control women compartmentalize to an extent. Their daughters are not the same as their wives. Their daughters are not the same as other women. I think it take it can take a serious event For them to come to the realization, wait a minute, what if that was happening to my daughter? Would I want that? It does. Like, every time you hear somebody say that, you know, like, oh, the reason I stopped being a dickhead to women is because I had a daughter or whatever. It's like, you really needed to have a daughter to come to that realization. (laughs) You're just a dickhead and you (laughs) lack empathy. And so they... Somebody who lacks empathy can much more easily compartmentalize these sorts of areas in their brain. And I think he absolutely can. On top of which, controlling his wife and controlling his kids, he probably thinks, I don't necessarily think this guy naturally comes to that conclusion, but I think many dickhead misogynists do, that both of those are okay and proper. That you should control your wife and you should control your daughters. And that if another man comes along and marries your daughter, he should control her. These are misogynists. We also immediately see that he does not like that she's not perfect. He is mad at her because he had to go back and take care of some stuff that she had forgotten to do. And I think that one of the problems here is I didn't exist during the 70s. So I don't understand, like, from a... I've never had to live through the experience of being a housewife, having so-called been okay with being a housewife, and then suddenly saying, I'm not okay with being a housewife, and I want a career, and I want to do things with my life. So, like, I don't... That shift doesn't make sense to me, because I grew up in a time when, of course, I was going to have a career. Like, nobody ever questioned that. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I feel like in this day and age, when women decide to be, if women decide to become housewives, it's kind of like a, okay, if your job is to be at work, then my job is to be at home. Uh And you're the one who gets the money, but really that's both of our paycheck. Right. So I don't understand like the shift of this used to be what I did and now I'm going to go do like... But she still doesn't really have a career. So, like, my question is, does she have any, and I know this sounds like shit, 
Does she have any authority to say, like, no, fuck you, this is half and half? Like, in the new one, yeah. there's fully, like, we both have careers here, we should be sharing the the expectations right. of home. Whereas here, like, she doesn't have a career, she wants one, but she doesn't have one, so it's like, is he supposed to be taking care of this the home stuff, or is it just supposed to be her? And I... Right. No, no, I think I know what you what you mean by that. Like, so I think in any good relationship, I don't think you need to share passions, but you need to support them. Right. So if, for instance, let's put us in their their shoes. Let's say you loved photography. Right. And you wanted to stop working so you could be a photographer. It is one thing for me to support you in that passion. That said, that is a whole paycheck that is being removed from our income. And how are you going to sort of contribute to our household in another way that isn't bringing in money? You know, is there something else you can do? Like, by all means, I'll support you in whatever way we can. If we can survive on just my paycheck, then great. But if we can't, or if there's other stuff that needs to be done, can you contribute to that? Maybe you could... Support your own passion a little bit, you know? <laughs> but, like, she is kind of just Well, she's a trying to get her stuff sold. It just hasn't she been is. sold yet. Yeah, and, he's, and he is already being very giving in that regard, I guess. Sometimes. I think he is in... I think he is in the idea, but he doesn't actually he like... He doesn't like it. ...doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he says... But that's he tells her, "Oh, we you can make her you can make a dark room." But that's just to placate to her because when she's later using that dark room, he's mad that he has to take care of the kids. Yeah, but imagine the point a relationship. Is, he's a shitty husband. But imagine, <laughs> yes, by all means. Okay, there is a moment where she is in her dark room because she had some great revelatory moment and took some uh, beautiful photographs, and now she's developing them, and it does pay off for her, right? Yes. The reason it's shitty for him in that moment, because she's locked in the dark room and he is watching not only their kids, but their friends' kids as well, and he's not used to this. The reason it's shitty is because he never does this. He never takes care of the kids. The expectation is, is that the kids are her realm, and that's what makes it shitty. An expectation that, hey... I'm working for a living and I'm working 80-hour work weeks to support this family so you can be a photographer and bring in no money yet. Maybe eventually you will. Maybe you could help with the kids, right? And now this is a moment from his perspective where, like, okay, now apparently I watch the kids so you can just have fun with your little hobby. Like, that's his point of view. What's actually shitty about it is that, dog, you never take care of the kids. You can spare a fucking night, okay? Like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. So they move to Stepford because he does not like their life. And there's no real clear explanation as to how we heard no. about it or no. any of that. But all the men who work here are all genius, like... Nerds. Yes, but like genius, very rich people, obviously. Uh -huh. These houses are incredible. I assume that in the 70s, these were still very expensive. <laughs> these are just gorgeous homes. But... Yes, none of them are attractive or anything like that. So the question is, how did they get these women? 
because these women are all gorgeous and also very intelligent. So, like, it's not like they just married men for marry for for money. Right. What I'm saying. Well, see, th- I mean, that's the thing. That's a question that needs to be answered, and the movie does not answer it. Are these women women that were changed? Okay, so let's not try to dance around this. It's the fucking Stepford Wives, the robots, right? <laughs> so, are these women? just manufactured to be young and pretty and that's why they are so such huge visual discrepancies from their husbands or is it that they were already married to these men when they were young and pretty and these guys were also young and maybe making lots of money and over time they were converted into robots and the robots were designed to stay looking young or to look younger than they started with or what have you so like which is it were all of them real women? I mean, I, the impression is that yes, because we see women turn into these robots, right? Mm-hmm. So why were these women with these men in the first place? What were the circumstances of their conversion in the first place? Mm-hmm. The movie doesn't answer that for you. Yeah. And that's probably one of the more difficult things to believe. Because it's not a compelling mystery. Like, I, I am one, between the two of us, I'm the one who more firmly believes that not every question needs an answer when it comes to movies. And I am more than willing to have open questions that are just, it's just fun to think about. That question is not fun to think about. It's frustrating that we don't have an answer to. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We meet the first Stepford wife when they when they first move there, and she is absolute perfection. She is elegance. She is grace. She brings over. She's got style. She's got grace. <laughs> <laughs> she brings over a casserole, and just every move she makes is is perfect. And later, the husband will remark to the other husband as if he knows, which he doesn't. So this is literally him just being a misogynistic asshole and simply assuming that all the other men are the same. He says to the woman's husband, She cooks as good as she looks, Ted. Yeah, see, that makes me think that he's already heard something. No, but he doesn't. He doesn't know. He just thinks that moving to this place, like, inspires women but to be But do perfect. we know that? Yes, because later when he finds out he has a little bit of a problem with it. Well, when he finds out the reality. But yes, it is a very sinister moment that she cooks as good as she looks or whatever it is that he says. There's also a strange moment that they do not bother to go into at all. One moment that they have is the kids get on a bus to go to school and all the kids are perfect too. And my question is... Oh, I didn't even think about that. What is happening here? Is it just that the kids behave perfectly because if they don't i have no idea i don't they have know. robot mothers i yeah i don't know i don't know so i thought that was very strange and there is like a stepford's chilt stepford children movie yes, there but, are plenty of stepford spinoffs oh are and, there yes there are there's stepford children there's stepford husbands mm. there's one revenge of the stepford wives there's one that's like the stepford Side chicks or something like that, which I assume is supposed to be a comedy thing. Yes, I assume so. Anyway, we also meet the local newswoman, and I'm so perplexed by her character. Yeah. Is she not married? Like, is she just, did she live here before all this craziness She doesn't even get a name. She doesn't get a name. She is just this very, like, 
wisecracking old lady who works for the newspaper. I wouldn't even call her wisecracking. It's weird. Like, she is sort of, she's a little brassy, just a little, but she's also small and, like, proper. And she isn't Stepford Wife perfect. I, she's obviously not a robot, but she's lived here the entire time and has been completely oblivious to it all. I... That's what it feels like. Yeah. And she's also like... You heard? It's just spreading like wildfire. A black family is moving into town. Oh! Think that's good? I think it's good. Well, I don't know if I think it's good so much as I think it's natural. Considering, well, I mean, after all, we are the most liberal town around. Stepford? Liberal? Well, sure. We have the first Chinese restaurant in Fairfield County. Ah, yes. And we have the first women's club to ask any of those liberation ladies to come lecture. There are no women's clubs here. There was. I went to a meeting once. There must have been 50 of us there. Well, where the hell are they? Yeah, again, that is... such a weird character. It is odd that she doesn't think it's strange that everyone changed. Right. Like, at least when they bring up the women's club in the remake... It's a character who is involved who brings it up and then is like, we didn't need it anymore because of X thing, you know. Mm-hmm. There's an explanation. This woman's just like, never thought about it, really. Just everybody just quit. <laughs> yeah. Up and quit one day. <laughs> but she's going to write a story about Joanna moving in. Yes, and... The New York photographer. Who will miss the noise. And it's important that this gets put into the newspaper because that's why Bobby is going to show up. Bobby Marco, which is a modernization, I think she calls it, of Markowitz, basically, to sound less Jewish, which is fun. Jesus. (laughs) But uh, Paula Prentice is Bobby Marco, who is our, our sort of supporting character, and she's great. Love her. If any character in this movie is brassy, it's Bobby. <laughs> she's fantastic. And she and Joanna become fast friends. Yes. Bobby's like, oh, I read about you and I just knew I had to meet you. There are a couple of things that do happen before we meet Bobby. I just want to say really quickly. Uh-huh. Joanna will see the neighbor lady uh, yeah. let her husband just... Grab her, fondle yeah, her. Yeah. Treat her however he feels like yeah. in the middle of the day out where anyone can see. And she thinks that's very strange. She will also be very upset with her husband because she's having this moment with him where she says, why do you bother asking me anything? Every single right. thing. He talks about the men's association and he's like, oh, yeah, I know there's this thing called the men's association. I wanted to bring it up with you. And she's like. She mentions a list of all the things where it's like, yeah, you mention uh, that you were that we should maybe consider moving. And then I find out that you'd already been looking at this place. Things like that. Here you are bringing up this men's league for the first time, asking what I think about it. Why don't you just be honest and tell me that you've already joined? Why even consult me on anything? Yeah. Fucking good question. I think it's a really great question. I think it's a really good scene, but it does make you wonder, like, why is she still with this guy? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Aside from the sinister, I know this is terrible, but aside from the the sinister conspiracy elements of it, he's a pretty swell guy. He's all right. Is he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's a little dopey. It's pretty shitty, in my opinion. Well, in what way? 
in the ways that you just said. Right, 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 right. Okay. This is a thing, guys, <laughs> that guys do. And ladies out there, you probably need to hear this. Guys have an internal life. Sorry, but it's true. If they want to do something, they're going to figure out the best way to be able to do that thing. And if they've already decided, they will act like they haven't if they're broaching the subject with you to see how you might respond. And hope that you respond that, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And if it doesn't, if if it doesn't turn out that way, they might go, well, shit. Okay, here's the thing. I already joined. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's... Yes, it's shitty, but it's not, like, ab-fucking-normal. It's very human. Like I say, it is a good question, and she has a right to be upset, and it seems like that is the nature of their relationship, right? And that sucks. But it is not a fucking sinister thing. It's not, oh, I want to control you, or we do things my way. It's just... You know, when you have a social interaction with somebody and you're looking for a particular outcome, you might want that outcome to happen. Is that the worst fucking thing in the world? I don't think it is. But if that turns into the nature of their relationship and then it turns out that it's just like he's keeping things from her. Yeah, it's shitty, but I don't think it's like I need to keep my wife in the dark. It's not like that. He needs to learn and her pointing out that this is what's going on is the first step to learning that. And I think he's very capable of learning that. And I think they can build on that and improve their relationship. This isn't like the end of all things. I think if it wasn't for all of this, they could have been fine. But obviously he was screaming inside and just not telling her about it. And I think that's probably the shittiest thing. He had too much of an internal life. Well said, Dr. Chris. <laughs> There is also a scene at the grocery store. Yep. Where this kid is helping this woman back this her car out. This fucking kid. <laughs> and he just lets a car accident happen. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, he's like, oh, wait, wait, because he loads her car. It's very small town. You got the grocer who's like putting your groceries in your car for you. And then he's guiding you out of the parking space. And that's what he's doing. And he is just not paying attention. And he's just like, yep, back up. And he's like looking at her. And it's not like a, oh, she's so pretty. I'm 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 distracted. That's not the way it's framed. He's just a fucking idiot. <laughs> and he lets her back out into somebody else, our main woman chick, the main Stepford wife lady, right? Who's pulling out and he doesn't even look at her. He doesn't even look in her direction, which if they can hit each other, and you're guiding somebody out of a parking space, you should be looking in that direction. He's just not. But these two cars that hit each other are wood-paneled station wagons. And then you realize that, so this, this accident happens, and he's like, it wasn't my fault. Yes, it was. <laughs> the only person out there purporting to be telling somebody that it is safe was you, and it wasn't safe. That makes it your fault. Anyway, our family sees this car accident, and they are driving a wood-paneled station wagon. <laughs> Everyone drives a wood-paneled station wagon. But when they drive away, the cops show up, and they take her away because they're very concerned about her for some reason. The paramedics show up, and they take her down the street. Our main girl... Joanna will say, wait a minute, is the hospital the other way? And at first, her husband's like, no, 
then she looks at him and he thinks about it and he's like, oh, well, you're right. See that, you know what? That would have worked on me. It, you're telling me that she looks at him weird and he's and he, like the jig is up and he has to admit that that's the case. I think he could have gone on. He's like, oh, oh, I don't know. But he doesn't. This is what makes me think like, does he know? No, I know he doesn't. Right. But then the thing that happened earlier is like, it makes it seem like he does. No, what I'm saying is he was just a misogynistic asshole. That's the point I think Levin But is the making. way it was delivered was very like, yeah, she uh, cooks as good as she looks, wink. Like, that was the way it was delivered. Like, he knew. And now it's, hey, wait a minute. No, you're right. The hospital is the other way. What the fuck? Where are they going? Like, I bought that. I, I legitimately think he was like, yeah, wait a minute. So it's that's a weird part about the movie. What does he know and when does he know it? And it's interesting saying, in some I ways. I think that he thinks that it's just something about being in Stepford that creates, that makes your wife perfect. Uh-huh. He does not. Socially, it like yes. encourages them to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's probably just like, hey, what, is it the worst thing to care for your home and your children and be attentive of your husband and thinking it's totally like... Just, nah, maybe you give it a shot and you like it. That would be great. We'd all be happy. You know, that's probably his, like, best case scenario in his mind. Yes. But when he does find out, it will be that, like, it's that night or something, and she'll come downstairs. It's, like, four o'clock in the morning, and he's sitting up drinking, and... Right. That's when he finds out. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And she's just like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? Yeah, I'm okay. And he... I'm not upset. What? He does not look good. He mm-hmm. does not look good. And she's just like, is everything, was everything okay at the initiation? And he doesn't like that she calls it initiation. He's like, it's not a fraternity for college or whatever. Yeah. I think he's trying to find reasons to be really mad at her in uh-huh. this moment. Because he knows that what he's doing is wrong. Just like the husband in Rosemary's Baby knows yes. that what he's doing is wrong. Guy. But he's able to rationalize it as good for the family, despite the fact that what he really means is good for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of the same thing that's happening here. But I think it's more compelling in Rosemary's Baby. And in this moment, he will say, I really do love you. I've screwed the whole thing up. You don't want to be here, do you? And this is when she will say, no, no, it's fine. But see, this makes me feel like he's looking for an excuse to leave. Yes, in this moment he was. But like also she... She, like, says some things, and he she gets kind of on his nerves a little bit, like, mm-hmm. a little, like, you know, be, like, I can stay up as late as I want. Like, I think he's at a crossroads, and uh-huh. he's trying to make a decision, and he makes the wrong decision. He very much does. Because he's this already a misogynistic asshole. Yep. But the, the next scene is where we're going to meet Bobby, and... She is excited to drink scotch with Joanna in the middle of the day, and she she says, don't even worry about your house, you should see my messy kitchen, which we will actually see in the remake, and it is ridiculous when yeah. we see it in the uh-huh. remake. But they do, that, they do that to really show the difference. Yeah. It's dumb. It's way over the top. But so she explains that, yeah, my husband said we needed to come here for a change for the better, too. He still sells real estate. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't like it either. So then they decide to have a party. Well, he brings some people over. He brings a bunch of guys yeah, over uh-huh. from the men's association. Yeah. And the main guy, what's his name? Diz. Oh, sorry, Diz. Dale. 
Yeah, he really creepily watches her, and he's like, I love to watch women do... He has that line, I like to watch women doing little domestic chores, and she responds with, you came to the right town. Yes, I. she is very good here. She does not give him the time of day. Right. Like, she does not deal... She's like, I'm not putting up with your bullshit. Like, he tells her, I used to work at Disneyland, that's why they call me Diz, and she full-on says, you don't look like someone who enjoys making others happy. Right? Fuck yeah! <laughs> Go Joanna! He does seem fucking creepy. Yeah, and I it's love and, her. And it's a little weird that, like, the way he's interacting with her, it's like... No, you need to know that I'm uncomfortable right now. And good job, Joanna. <laughs> mm-hmm. He doesn't just get to go around making people feel uncomfortable and then think that that's okay. And that whole night, they're going to sit there and talk about stupid, boring bullshit. And she's just going to be sitting there drinking the whole time. But she does notice that this guy is drawing her. And it, it does make her uncomfortable. But the guy full on shows her the picture. And, he, and she's like, oh, my God, you're the uh, you're the Ike Mazard. And he, he like, was an artist for the magazines that she uh-huh. grew up on. Yeah. And so she's like, it's a big deal. And, and he gives her the sketch he made of her, the full one. But you'll notice he made several, like, it's a study, mm-hmm. right, of her eyes and the corners of her mouth and, like, things like that. But he gives her the full portraiture. Mm-hmm. And she's excited to have something from him. Mm-hmm. And later on, we're going to see... All the other women do, too. Yes. But that night, she is going to kind of, like, you know, tell her husband, like, this isn't me. This isn't you. I did not enjoy tonight. I did, yeah. like, the bullshit you guys were talking about. They were about. so boring. Yeah. And I think more than anything, she's upset because he refuses to recognize that. She's like, these guys were such a bore. And he's like, well, I don't know. They were just trying to. And she's like, no, wait a minute. If we were back in New York, you would be joining in, too. You've changed, or you're something's going on. I don't see how you don't see that they were boring and they were insufferable. And the fact that you like them kind of weirds me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. What happened to you? Mm-hmm. She'll have another conversation with Bobby where she's like, just like, you know, it's perfect. How could you not like it? But for some reason, I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. Like she she recognizes that she's the odd man out. She recognizes uh-huh. that it's weird. She's like, I don't understand why I don't like it, but I don't. And that's all fine. What makes it a problem is when she starts second guessing herself. Like, am is there something wrong with me? No, there's nothing wrong with you. It's okay to recognize that something is perfect, but you don't like it. Right, but that's I think that that's something that Ira really recognizes in women is that women, especially at this time, believed that there was a certain thing that they should be. Right. There was it, an ideal. And if you weren't satisfied by that ideal, then what is you're wrong broken. With you? yeah. Yes, you are being hysterical. You have everything you could want. Why aren't you happy? Yeah. And instead of thinking, fuck you for trying to dictate what I would and would not like and what I should and should not do, women are thinking at the time, yeah, what's wrong with me? Am I broken? And the men, the doctors and shit like that are saying things like, well, your uterus is misaligned. God damn it. Man, that fucking sucks. (laughs) I'm about to teach the yellow wallpaper, and I, I, I just, I feel like, you know, so much feminism yes. in my life. I mean, I, I gotta say, I it's a little it. bit, there's something similar 
going on here with the men, but but much more benign and lot, a lot less of an excuse for their shitty behavior, which is this sort of promise unfulfilled, which is these men in the 70s were promised that sort of 50s nuclear family vision. And then they have these willful women who were so attractive when they were younger, but now that they have a family, there's less quote-unquote, utility for that kind of woman, you're supposed to now be the perfect housewife in the dress with the apron and all of that. You know, the house should be clean and dinner should be on the table when I get home. And when it doesn't happen, I feel like I've been lied to. Mm -hmm. And the only person I have to take it out on is you. Now, that's fucking shitty that they were that they were told that that was going to come to them but it's also shitty that they take that out on their wives. So there's going to be a big party scene where everybody's going to be there and both Joanna and Bobby are going to be there and the hostess is going to have a little bit of a meltdown. No, yeah. not the hostess, just a just a partygoer, right? It's hard to keep these women straight. <laughs> yeah. A party goer is going to be there. Oh, I just need that recipe. I'll die if I don't get this recipe. I'll just die if I don't get this recipe. Yeah, no, she's the main woman that greets you're them right. when they first show up. Yeah. You're right. And the guy comes up to her and he he like, you said you'd stop drinking. Like totally shames her in front of everybody, yeah. blaming her alcoholism. You know how this gets you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny because she's not acting drunk. She's acting broken. Yes. But that's not what we're supposed to get out of uh-huh. that. They're making excuses. So the next day, or whatever, she'll go to Bobby and Joanna, this woman who had this breakdown, and she'll she'll apologize. And the ladies are like, you don't have to apologize They were kind of treating you shitty. Are you okay? Yeah, like, are you all right? And she's like, well, we just talked about it. She's, and they're like, we... Who's we? Like, right. what is going we on We decided here? that the best thing for me is that I don't drink anymore. And really, it has turned things around, and my life is better when I'm not drinking. And Yes. Like, okay, let's be clear. If you are an alcoholic and it is causing trouble in your life, get help. You know, that's absolutely true. But, like, no, there's something wrong with this woman, and she's acting controlled. Mm-hmm. And when she leaves, Bobby's like, that is a lady who needs help. And I thought that was very much like, uh, she got a problem. If I was forced to apologize every time I got smashed, I'd spend my whole life wandering around saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That is a lady that could use some help. That poor child suffers from low self-image. You got a point. She got a problem. From Little Shop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. She's got a low self-image or whatever it is that they say. Yes. So after that, they decide we've got to do something. Like, this place is crazy. We need to help these ladies. So they start going around asking people, like women, if they want to be part of a women's group. Uh-huh. You know, look, look, we just get together and we talk. That's all it's going to be. And, and they know they have to be careful because, and this is still true, you don't want to offend people. You don't want people thinking, like, they look down on you because you're a you're a housewife. Like, you want to explain to them, no, we totally respect your decision and everything. It's just that maybe you want to talk about things and you don't have a place to. Right. Yeah. They're going to go to a couple of ladies 
Stepford Wives. Mm-hmm. One is going to full on tell them, I've got three kids, I don't have time, and no, I don't care that the men are in charge. Yeah. Another woman is going to tell them, I'm too busy baking. <laughs> An- another woman will be out shopping, and they're going to be like, don't you ever go out? And she's like, I'm out now. <laughs> you know, like, I'm out doing errands uh-huh. for the house. Yeah. So it's just like... And then another woman that they're going to walk in on, they're going to overhear them having sex in the middle of the day, but they're not just having sex, they're having the best sex of their lives. Oh, Frank! God, I just love that. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh. Nobody's ever touched me the way you touch me. Oh, oh. There. Oh, you're the best, Frank. Oh, God, are you the best? Oh, there. You're the king, Frank. Oh, you're the champion, Frank. Oh, oh, oh you're the master. And I really hate the way that they did because they very obviously they recorded it and then they just played it over the scene and you can hear like you can hear her like talking into the microphone uh-huh. I'm like oh my god stop having sex with the microphone like it's, <laughs> I don't I, like I guess I'm not maybe it's not maybe that's not ASMR I don't know but I don't like, like that anti ASMR <laughs> I don't like those sounds <laughs> I don't like those guttural sounds when I was in middle school we had to listen to these tapes of people speaking Spanish uh-huh. we had to like interpret what they were saying and I hated it because you could hear every single like throat and guttural sound I the hate smacking sound yeah I hate, I hate it. Gross, stop. I hate those (laughs) sounds. And you could hear that here. And it was really uncomfortable because she's making sounds like she's having sex. And I'm just like, ah, (laughs) it's even worse. You just got to embrace it. Turns out you're really into ASMR. (laughs) But then later you're going to see the guy. And it's, it's kind of shitty. Because to say that someone isn't good at sex because of the way they look... That's shitty. Right. Their whole thing is like, Frank? (laughs) That guy? (laughs) But wouldn't that explain it? If he was just a nice enough dude, but he's kind of goofy looking, but turns out he's incredible in bed, wouldn't that explain it? He's rich. He seems like a nice guy. Maybe he's got the best dick and knows what to do with it. You don't know. Wouldn't that explain more than it would add to your questions? I don't know. But it is. So it's like, it's like, I get what they're trying to say, but I'm like, that's so shitty. From our perspective of people that know what's going on, it's a little creepy to know that in the privacy of his own home, when the only other person around is a robot program to make him feel good, that's what he wants. I don't know. There's something creepy about that. I... I thought that's what all men would want. I mean, it's, I guess in a way, but like, you know what? Here's the thing. Like, if I'm going to be having sex with somebody for the rest of my life, it's only going to be Kelsey. <laughs> um, if that's going to, if that's going to happen, like, if, if there's going to be moments of like, okay, I'm not going to get too deep into it. But still, the reason that that is meaningful is because it comes from you. 
like a human being. Well, honey, you're also not the type of guy who pays for sex. Like, I guess. I, yeah, I guess. Why do people pay for it? I guess. That to would, your lies. To your point, them. that would make me very uncomfortable. Yeah. To, like, be with a sex worker. Like, no shade on people that do that. But, like, for me, it's not for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's that would just make me really fucking uncomfortable. And it would not, like, be like, oh, great. You're paid to do this. Which is the whole reason this is meaningful to me is because it's something that, like, you do actually desire me. You know what I mean? Like, that's... Anyway, just to get into a little bit of my brain. (laughs) But anyway, then they will meet... Charmaine Wimpiris, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And this is Tina Louise, who played Ginger on Gilligan's Island. And she is one of them. She's a beautiful woman who's brassy and says whatever's on her mind and isn't the perfect housewife. Uh, well, they she go has play a tennis. Maid. Yes, who, by the way, blink and you'll miss her because I certainly did. D. Wallace's first movie appearance. I didn't, I don't know that I even saw the maid. I just right. know they said she has one. Exactly. Apparently that was D. Wallace. Oh, wow. Yeah, as in. You know, the howling. Mom from E.T. Cujo E.T. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, Red Christmas. <laughs> She's all for this. Yeah. And she explains, like, I used to have I used to have friends around here that played tennis with me and now they don't. All uh-huh. of a sudden they Now stop. I just have two teenage boys with permanent erections. <laughs> and yes. she implies that she's sleeping with them. Oh, may- oh, maybe it's like neighborhood kids. That's what I was thinking. That are playing tennis with her just because they think because she's, she's hot. Because she's hot. She's not yeah, actually uh-huh. having sex with them. Okay, I thought she meant her son. <laughs> maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> Movie's not very clear in that regard because it's a lot of innuendo. But she jokes that she likes the men's association because it gets her husband out of the house. But they explain, like, yeah, but don't you think it's weird that the women don't have anything? And she's like, absolutely. So they decide that they're going to, she's going to join their group, even if it's only the three of them. But then one of those nerd weirdos from the party comes to Joanna and asks her, will you please, like, record your voice? It's a thing I do. And she's just like, first of all, if a dude asked me that, I'd be like, no. I think it's fucking weird that you want my voice. And no, I'm not going to do that. But she uses this to say, well, you know what? Your wife had too much ironing. She doesn't have time for me. So I don't have time for you. But if you can get your wife to make time for me, I can make time for you. Which is fantastic. But it does end up that she ends up giving this recording of words. And he's his whole thing is like, what I'm going to be able to do is I'm going to be able to plug it into a computer. And this is actually very, very true. Uh, this is what Roger Ebert did before he passed away. He couldn't speak anymore. And they had the system where he would, you know, program in what he wanted to say and and the computer would speak for him. They took recordings from his entire career of every possible phoneme and every inflection so he could type and it would sound like him, which is really fucking cool. So, I mean, the idea that he's talking about is not ridiculous and it's actually really cool. And I would 100% contribute to that. I'm not the type that's just like, what are they going to use my voice to do? I would... What are they going to do with my voice? Who what, wants to hear what, my voice to do something? What they did in this movie? Right. I I think it's that's that would be paranoid to think that that's what's going on. 
Anyway, but yes, that's what's happening is she's just recording every single word she possibly can or every phoneme or whatever. And that's going to be key to figuring out something that's going on later. But yes, in exchange for recording this, she gets her little women's club going. You know, her little women's club. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is really funny. She tries to get anybody to say anything. Nobody will until finally the tennis lady says, fine, I'll start. I don't think my husband has ever loved me. Yeah. I think he likes the way I look. Uh-huh. I don't think he loves who I am. And it's really sad, but then all of a sudden the ladies start talking about cleaning products and it's really funny. Yes. I don't think that uh, Ed ever loved me. He married me because I looked right. It made a big impression on the other TV executives for his wife to look like I look. God knows he's given me things. I'm not complaining on that score, but uh, he never loved me. I didn't bake anything yesterday. It took me so long to get the upstairs floor to shine. I didn't have any time to bake. Well, you don't have to bake, kid. There's no law. Hell, Ed's lucky if I remember to keep him in white bread. (laughs) Easy on spray starch. It must save me half an hour a day at least. You'll never run short of time again, I guarantee it. I've just been tempted so many times to try easy on. I'm not trying to be a leader or anything, but we're not supposed to delve quite so specifically into housework. Easy on's really that good, is it? Is it that good? Well, if time is your enemy, make friends with Easy on. That's all I can tell you. It's so good that if ever I became famous and the Easy on people asked me, would I do a commercial? Not only would I do it, I'd do it for free. That's how good it is. Holy cow. It's really, really good. Yes. It's it's very much like in the Truman Show when she is doing like her commercials. Oh, who are you talking to? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you let me fix you some of this new Mococo drink? All natural cocoa beans from the upper slopes of Mount Nicaragua. No artificial sweeteners. What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? It's really, I like that a lot. I love Bobby's response because she's just like, oh my God. Like, you know, because... They do not understand who they're talking to, but they kind of do. Like, they feel like they're talking to robots because they're because talking, they're talking to, robots. to robots. Yeah. But there are three women that we know of that are themselves now. We have Joanna, our main character. We have Bobby, her sort of best friend. And they've got their redheaded tennis player, Charmaine. Who only gets, like, a name in the remake. She's not really that much of a character in the remake. One thing that I really do not understand, they are going to show that one at one point Joanna is going to take the dog for a walk. While she's taking the dog for a walk, the husband is going to let the guys from the men's association come in and they're going to, you know, take note of everything in the room. All yeah, the way the bedroom's laid out and everything. And later we're going to see that like the robot they've modeled their they've yeah. modeled the room for the robot to look like this place and I'm like I don't get it. I don't get what the point is of that because you're not reconstructing the entire house, you're not reconstructing the entire town for her. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're getting her able to do things, like it's not like you're getting her to recognize things cuz she's going to have to be able to recognize the whole world. I think it's going to just be sort of vaguely creepy that they've done this and you think 
you know, oh, well, they'll need to test it in a test environment. And so they're going to copy the bedroom and then that'll be their test environment. But like you say, what good is that? What good is one room? If you're just going to test them, you can test them in any room. They need to be able to think on the fly and interact with any scenario. So what good is testing one room that's going to eventually be familiar? Their whole house is going to be that. So exactly. why wouldn't you model the whole house? Yeah, it's just supposed to feel vaguely sinister and clinical. It it's sort of a failing of the movie is kind of my point. Like, I don't think they know what they're doing when it comes to building tension. Yeah. But her dog is going to run off to the men's association. She's going to go there. She's going to be told to go away. That doesn't matter. But we do see the husband of the woman who played Charmaine, tennis. yeah. We're going to see him get into a car with the head guy. What's his name? Oh, Diz. Diz, yeah. And Diz is going to, like, push him over and be like, you're, no, you're in no fit state to drive, my friend. Let me drive you home. He's been drinking a lot. Well, he seems really upset. Yeah, uh-huh. But that doesn't match up with what we see in the next scene. Well, okay, so I think it's obvious to an extent. Again, these are where, like, the holes start getting picked up in this movie. To an extent, it makes sense that... There's something going on with him specifically because his wife is next. Charmaine is next. She's going to be roboticized. That makes sense that he would be drinking. He'd be conflicted. It's a big, big moment. It changes his entire life. And he needs to make the decision to do something terrible as a human, right? But we've already had that moment for Joanna's husband, Oh no, what I think is and happening. And Joanna's next. What I think is happening. I think that that I think that he just turned her into a robot. Right oh no, which is very possible. Happened. Right, I know. So like if this sort of mental breakdown is going to be a signifier of anything, shouldn't it be a signifier of the same thing if we're only going to see that moment twice in the entire movie? Well, when we saw it the first time with uh Joanna's husband, it was the first time he was told. Yes. So shouldn't we be seeing it again when somebody else is told? I understand what you mean, but I do believe if it's really going to affect you, it would really affect you right after it happened. Sure. But again, like the there's going to be one, two, three scenes before we see that couple again. There's going to be three scenes, but the next time we see them, so I guess time should have passed, I guess. So maybe he's had more time to adjust. He just seems super happy the next time yeah. we see him. Like, he does not he's seem the benefits upset. now at this point. I but guess. I, I guess the best way to describe emotionally what I'm going through when I'm seeing these moments in the movies is like, it's not just this movie, it's other movies. It's like, imagine you're putting together a jigsaw. And one of these two things happens. Either you see a piece that has to go there, but it doesn't quite fit. It's the right shape, but it seems like it wasn't cut from this art. It was cut from another one in a slightly different shape. And so, like, the gap is too big in one place and too small in another place, and it just feel we feels weird. But this piece has to go here, or vice versa. It's a piece that fits perfectly but the artwork doesn't match up like emotionally what that does to you is like what's happening what is wrong like obviously it goes here but then also obviously it doesn't that's sort of what i'm going through when <laughs> when i see these sorts of moments like yes i understand why he might be a wreck in this moment but what the story is communicating overall like it feels like it doesn't fit i i don't know it's the best i can explain 
after Bobby and Joanna find out that uh, some of the women they've met used to be part of this group because of the newspaper lady. Yeah, so she comes back and she still doesn't have a name. Yes. Uh, They're going to go and approach one of those women and be like, you were the president of this women's lib club. Like, Uh what do you mean you're perfectly happy doing laundry and shit? And she explains... I don't know what to tell you. Uh, my kids are happier than ever. My husband's happier than ever. My house looks better than ever. Like, I just, this is, I finally found peace and happiness. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. I don't know what to tell you. And it's like, there's something about it that, like, you kind of, like, am I wrong? I don't know. Yeah. I think the important thing is is that it's different for everyone, and I think this is what the limit the women's lib movement is sort of all about, right? Is it's up to the woman to decide what is best for her, and if what is best for you is being a stay at home mom, then great. But if you only want to be a stay at home mom because that was to- that that was what you were told you always should be doing, then maybe you could expand your horizons a little bit more and then make that decision, right? Like that's what it's all about. So if somebody really is like, nah, I mean, I'm 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 great. Like, yeah, I don't do all the stuff I used to do that I thought was fulfilling, but then I realized it wasn't very fulfilling. And that seeing my kids happy and my husband happy and my home clean, like it just makes me feel good. And isn't that okay? Yes, it's okay. The problem is, like this change seems bizarre. It seems like that wouldn't be something that feels fulfilling for the type of person that you were. So what happened? Mm-hmm. There's also a thing where they take away her dog and we're going to find that the dog has been with the robot. And again, I'm like, are you getting the robot used to the dog? Are you getting the dog used to the robot? I think the dog has to get used to the robot. I think the dog has to get used to the robot, yeah. She is going to try to sell her pictures to a gallery, but this is before she's taken those awesome photos. This is when she's taken her first set of photos and the gallery owner is like, nah, I'm not interested at all. And she's really downhearted about that. And then she finds out that her friend suddenly doesn't like tennis anymore. They're tearing up the tennis court. And this is what I mean. We see the the husband gleefully watching as Uh they get rid of this tennis court. And it's like, I don't understand why you would be so against your wife being into tennis. It kept her in great shape. Like, you know, like, (laughs) it just seems like. You want the woman to look perfect. How do you think she gets perfect? By exercise. It's so strange. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, and they, you know, when they ask her about it, she's like, all he ever did was to please, was try to please me. But secretly inside, he was unhappy. He wanted a swimming pool all this time. So now he's going to get it. And I'm like, aren't you rich? Can't you have both? Why do you only need to... Why is it necessary to only have one? Yeah. If you have the money to destroy this whole thing and then because put in the a tennis pool... Because the tennis court isn't his. It's hers, and she doesn't have desires. She's a wife. She's a mother. There's nothing for her outside of that. And he needs to reinforce that. 
This is when Bobby will say, I think there's something in the water. I think they're doing something to us. And uh, so Joanna's like, well, I lost my virginity in my senior year at NYU to a scientist. So let's go ask him. And it's kind of sad. It's hilarious. (laughs) Okay, so first of all, his name is Raymond Chandler. And after they reveal the fact that he is a scientist, but she used to date him, and his name is Raymond Chandler, they talk about him as if he were actually the writer. And so, like, if you don't know who Raymond Chandler is, it's going to be very fucking confusing. You don't know who Raymond Chandler is? I do not know who Raymond Chandler is. Raymond Chandler is an author, and he wrote, like, pulp novels and stuff. He created the character of Philip Marlowe, famous detective pulp detective philip marlowe so they talk about him like oh why isn't this like your books or whatever you know and if you don't know that you're talking about author raymond chandler then that whole conversation is lost case in point (laughs) but i guess they're anticipating that it's the 70s and everyone knows what we're talking about here i guess so but even still like he wrote in like the early 1900s. <laughs> he wasn't even alive when this movie came out. <laughs> but any case, she says, I can't just call him up and say, hi, I used to be Joanna Ingalls. You deflowered me 12 years ago. Would you check my water? <laughs> great. It's like the best line in the entire movie. It is It is a funny line, but it's, it's sad when she sees him. It is. He it asks is. her, are you happy? And she says, oh, very happy. And then he says, oh, we're very happy, too. I've been married for nine years. And she and he sent he gives her a little note that says, I'm not happy either. It's really sad. And he says to her later, we really blew it, didn't we? Yeah, that note, I'm not happy either. I think that's also part of like, it's a it's a woman's incapability of carrying on a platonic relationship with fucking anybody and how frustrating that must be. Right. Like. No, I'm fine. I wasn't looking to have an affair. I genuinely would like it if you were happy in your marriage. I'm not trying to have an affair right now. But of course, the sleazy guy is. Like, this is his opportunity to get back with his ex-girlfriend who he regrets breaking up with. I think she regretted it, too. I thought she was, I thought she was feeling like she was unhappy, too. Because she is unhappy. No, I think putting that note in front of her was... I think maybe a little bit offensive to her. Oh, really? The fact that she would cheat on her husband, regardless of what's going on in her marriage. It's like, no. Like, it's one thing to talk about how we're unhappy. It's completely different for you to be like, okay, fine, let's bang. Fuck you. That's the impression that I got. Huh. I got the impression that she's just like, yeah, I'm unhappy too. Like, I didn't. I knew she didn't want to have an affair, and I don't think he wanted to have an affair either. I think he just wanted to say, like, sucks that we didn't we didn't make it, huh? I thought that's yeah, all he was uh-huh. trying to say. But anyway, in the conversation with Bobby before they even go, she says, I thought Walter was going to become Perry Mason. And yeah, uh-huh. it's just like... Right, because Walter is a lawyer. Perry Mason, famous... Handsome lawyer. <laughs> oh, I thought he was a detective. No. We watched the show, remember? He's just a lawyer. He's sort of a detective lawyer. He solves crimes in the courtroom. Oh. Okay, that's why I was confused by yeah, that uh-huh. joke. I was like, <laughs> your husband's a lawyer, not a detective. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. 
But he tells them, no, nothing is wrong with your water. But when they come back, uh, Bobby says, I'm leaving and you've got to get out of here too. There's something wrong here. But still, Joanna does the voice work because she got to do the women's thing. So I guess a deal's a deal. So she does the voice work, you know, kind of cinching her fate. But she goes to her husband and she's like, look, me and Bobby have talked about it and we want to move. And... I would like it if you would move with me. And the husband's like, are you that unhappy? But think about how nice the area is. And she's like, I can't help it. I can't live here. And he's like, okay, fine, we'll move. But can we wait until August? Always, always. Yeah. Can we wait until? It sounds promising. He's like, you know what? Okay, he's actually going to do it. You know, he's she's convinced him he's having his own little internal conflict again and not telling her. Right. Like before, and she just sort of helped him make a decision, a decision that you are worried might go the other way. But in this moment, you're maybe a little bit hopeful. He is going to recognize how distressed she is and do the best thing for the two of them by doing the best thing for her. Now, we ultimately know that that's not the case. That's not what he does. (laughs) But it gives you that little bit of hope, which makes the ending more tragic. Yes. But so Bobby is going to come to her and be like... I'm going on a trip that my husband has promised me, and then when I get back, we're going to move. But will you watch the kids while we're away on this fancy trip that he's taking me on? And she says yes. And while the kids are there, that's when she's going to take her epic photos that the gallery will like Yeah, of all like the kids actually playing in the park and all of that, and that's why she's in the, the um, dark room when her husband needs to take care of all the kids. And when the gallery owner sees the pictures, he asks her, what do you want from it? And she's like, well, I want to be remembered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't we all? Yeah. It's a big old commercial for Nikon. Because there's just uh, these great close-ups of her with her one eye behind the camera's viewfinder. And the Nikon logo just glare- taking up half the screen. Just a big old Nikon commercial. <laughs> yes. But then Bobby gets home from her weekend. Yeah. And she is not Bobby anymore. She's not Bobby anymore, unfortunately. She looks totally different. She's like, oh my god, my husband just let me set me loose in Bergdorf's and I couldn't be happier. And I, I love that Joanna's response is, why are you wearing makeup? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you never wear makeup. Yep. And then she's like, oh, come on. I was such a joke. My husband works all day to come home to what? A mess? And me a mess? Like, come on. Why would I ever leave Stepford? And Joanna knows uh-huh. you are not my friend anymore. And uh-huh. she leaves in a panic. And when she gets home, her husband is like, I don't know why you think it's such a problem. She should have kept the house clean. It was a pigsty. And He's starting to turn into more explicitly one of these men. Mm-hmm. And you know what? She is right. Maybe, our, you know, look at our kids. Our kids run around like ragamuffins and you don't care. And I'm making all this money for what? You I'm know? working 80 hour work weeks. For, yeah. Uh-huh. And that's when he she's like, you told me you were going to leave. He's like, yeah, in August. Not yet. You should see somebody. Like, I'll only promise to leave if you see somebody. I'll get you somebody. And she's like, I'll see someone, but I will choose my therapist. Thank you very much. See, you think that you... ah. Okay. This sounds much more confrontational than it actually plays out in the movie. 
He plays out, again, the movie for a very long time is trying to stress the fact that maybe there's nothing going on with Walter. Maybe he hasn't done anything. Maybe he's just desperate because he thinks his wife is acting unusual and upset and he doesn't know how to explain it. He doesn't know what to do about it. And he's desperate for her to feel good again, right? And he and he doesn't think that just, you know, moving is going to do... It, it's, it's his sort of pre... He hasn't done it yet, so he doesn't get to take credit for it. But he gets his little, I moved houses for you moment, right? But that said... It is very much like, okay, fine, like, we'll do it sooner or whatever. I even think, I think we don't even have to need to wait till August, but you need to see somebody. You need to see a therapist. And when she says she needs to talk to somebody about it, you know, she needs to decide who it is. He doesn't fight her on it. Right. But he first says that I've no, I know guys in in town. uh She's like, I'll find my own. Thanks. Right. And so, but then he doesn't argue with that. And it's like, okay, well, wait. So there is, I will say the movie does that very, very well. It sets up like, is he maybe just kind of a mild dickhead, but he really does care for her, love her, want what's best for her. And sometimes, sometimes you need to argue with the people that you love to get them to realize that they're doing something that is harmful to themselves. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world to say that. And that's the way it sort of kind of comes off here. It's like, you're being ridiculous, you're being paranoid, and it's driving you insane, and you're acting neurotic, and you're not yourself. You need to talk to somebody, please, is what he is saying to her, and it doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world. Now, take that entire interaction, and look at it from the perspective of, women are being turned into robots, she is not paranoid, she is right, and Walter knows it. And it completely recontextualizes everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we get to see her see her therapist. And she tells her, you know, my husband thinks I'm being completely irrational about it. You know, how perfect it is there. And <laughs> this is another moment where, like, it's like, oh, man, is she in on it? For a moment, you're like, oh, oh and we get this thing where the therapist is not helpful. And the therapist is just brushing her off. Oh, you just need medication and isn't going to actually listen to her concerns. But then. But that is not what happens. She says, you know, Stepford has a reputation for being unsocial. I don't think I would be happy if I was living there. Yeah, so I get why you're not. But other people really like it. And your mind's going back to, oh, man, is this just a really good sales pitch? But she she explains There are places we know that have reputations and people go when they move there. Yeah. What do you think of when I say this? And they're like, well, writers. And it's like, well, it's not like the place bred writers. It's that a writer went there. They really liked it. They told their writer friends. Those writer people moved there. And so she's trying to explain why this village might be just full of people that are perfect housewives. Yeah, Yeah. with this situation. That sort of thing happens naturally, and it's not the weirdest thing in the world. And you're like, man, what a killer explanation. If you're trying to diffuse somebody's curiosity or paranoia about this, man, the therapist is totally in on it. Yes. But no. But no. So the therapist says to her, I'm just confused. You've come all this way to see me, and you're not talking. And so she finally tells her, and she's like, I didn't want to say it because I think you're going to think I'm crazy, but here's what I'm thinking. I think 
The men make women change. And if I'm wrong, that means I'm insane. But if I'm right, it's even worse than that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they draw our pictures. They record our voices. It It's a four-month process. My four months are up. I, I Something is going to happen. And the therapist is like, look, I don't necessarily believe you. But this is obviously a bad situation. This is not good for you. Like, look at your mental mm-hmm. health. You are not doing well. You need to leave. Here's what's going to happen. I will still write you that prescription that I mentioned earlier. I think you still would benefit from that. But then after this, you're going to get your kids and you're going to go. If your husband doesn't go with you, fine. Leave him. Yeah. Leave. Like, I can, like, you are afraid of something. Uh-huh. I may not know what it is, but you are afraid. Like, you should not be in this situation. Right. What bothers me, what really bothers me is, and I've, I've never read the book, but from what I've read about differences between the book, this is where she realizes it because she says out loud, it's like they're robots from Disneyland. Yeah. There'll be somebody with my name and she'll cook and clean like crazy, but she won't take pictures and she won't be me. She'll 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 be like one of those robots in Disneyland. And I guess in the book she does make that connection. But here she doesn't? Yeah, it's not even explicit. We do learn that the dude is from Disneyland. I don't they never make that connection. It's like, well, we did the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but that is sort of what they're going for. They make allusions to it. It's just it's very if you're looking for any kind of excuse to say that this isn't feminist, this is the one moment where I'm like the like literally how could she not make that connection? I'll talk about the feminist angle when we're done. Okay. She goes to get her kids, though, and her kids are not home. And her husband tells her they are with friends. They are fine. Uh, you need to go to bed. And she's like, don't tell me what to do, you bastard. Uh-huh. And uh, she does something. And he chases after her. She goes into the bedroom. And he's like, fine, stay in there. Because that's where he wanted her to go anyway. He told right. her to go to bed. Uh-huh. So he then gets on the phone and she sneaks out. And when she goes to see her, she goes to see Bobby and she asks her, Bobby, what does archaic mean? Because earlier they had been talking to one of the wives and they didn't know what archaic meant. Right, but she did. Bobby specifically knew what archaic meant. And then this is her figuring it out, right? Joanna's like, you don't know what archaic means anymore. That's because it wasn't on the list. These women, they didn't know it either, but you did. But now all of a sudden you don't. Mm -hmm. It's because it wasn't on the list. The list of words that she read out for that dude. Now here's the thing. She still does not have confirmation, okay? She's looking for that confirmation right now. She cuts her hand and she says, look. I bleed. Do you bleed? I bleed. (laughs) Do you now, logically, oh my god! You think they needed a dramatic she's moment? She's gonna cut her hand. Okay, this is a dramatic moment, and it's huge. And you're like, oh my god! <laughs> but you needed to know that it would pull, that it would happen this way in order for it to make sense for you to do this. <laughs> you're trying to confirm that your best friend is not your best friend and is in fact a robot. And the way that you do that, if you're Joanna in this movie, is to. St- Stab her in the gut. (laughs) 
Are you fucking kidding me? It is so just like, what? Because you just thought she was going to cut her hand. Right. Just grab her hand and cut that. And show that there's no blood. Why do you have to do it in the stomach? What if you're wrong? It's fine because she's a robot. But you didn't know. The whole reason that you're driving yourself insane is because you don't know what's real and what's not real. Maybe, just maybe, take the safer route. Just in case. What if you had been wrong? Right. But of course she's not. So there is no blood, but uh, immediately she starts to malfunction. Which you'd think that she would just wouldn't be able to move certain parts of her body, but we know more about this yeah. stuff than they did, you know. She starts to repeat herself. She starts to drop things. Joanna leaves. She, now having this confirmation, she is not afraid to attack her husband and will hit him over the face with a fire poker. Uh-huh. Uh, Where are the kids? Yeah. Or whatever she said. Where are my children? And he says at the association, the association. Which I'm just like, why would you believe him? It just doesn't make any damn sense. Uh-huh. And when she goes there, she's but in this still, giant place. But still, it's a moment of like, Oh, does he finally, she turned on him. She, he's, he obviously can't control her. Is he actually telling her the truth now? No, he's not. He's still trying to get her. He's still trying to get her. But I, I will say that the movie does that. It does the uncertainty well. It doesn't do the tension well, but it does the uncertainty well. Yes. But then when she gets there in this pitch black giant place, all of a sudden she can hear her daughter saying, Mommy! And it's like the same inflection over and over again, and she doesn't understand that it's a recording. And I'm just like, uh-huh. this is dumb. Which ultimately it is. They used to get her to go exactly where they want her well, to go. Again, it's it's the problem here. Again, if I was if I was gonna make the argument that this isn't feminist, like, this is dumb. Mm-hmm. This is really dumb that she would fall for this. Mm-hmm. I think she is smarter than this. Yep. But she doesn't. And so she goes after the recording. And she this is when she's going to find the room that looks just like her room. The dog's going to be there. And she sees the robot. And she's going to ask Diz, you know, why? And he he's going to give her a real answer. Because we could. Which is exactly, you know, what they say in Alien, uh, Prometheus or whatever. Uh, it's what... It's what they say in Frankenstein, basically, you know, because we can. That's what they say in Jurassic Park. Yes. Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. And he says to her, think about it. If it was the other way around, you would want it to. You would want a perfect husband. Why wouldn't you? And it's just like, but you're not, but nobody, anyway. <laughs> uh-huh. There's no point arguing with it. it. I get the point they're making. When she sees her, it is quite scary. It is a good image. There's no eyes. It is very creepy. I love this robot version of her. Uh, she's got bigger boobs, and she's coming at her to kill her with a nylon sock. My problem is that she still has the fire poker, Joanna does, and... He just takes it away from her, and I'm like, dude, no fight. stab him! There's no fight in her. It really pissed me off, because she was willing to stab her best friend. She was willing to knock her husband over the face with the fire poker. But not fucking but Diz? not this guy? Come on! Yeah. I would have stabbed the shit out of him with that thing. But she doesn't. She just lets him take it, and I'm very... That's annoying, too, right there. 
But it's because they wanted a really they, creepy ending. And it is a creepy ending. I will give it that. Invasion of the Body Snatchers would do this a couple years later. This sort of like, oh shit, they failed. The villains succeeded sort of ending. Yeah. Right? And this at first was me. This is where I started getting. So, okay. Well, I'll explain it to you. The camera's going around the supermarket again with all these women dressed perfectly, pushing these carts, buying products for their home, name brand things, uh, work with the floor glow or whatever, you know. Uh, and they all say hello to each other. and What a lovely day or whatever. Hello. <laughs> hello, Charmaine. Hello. Uh, and then we see Joanna is there. And we see her from behind at uh-huh. first. And she, and she says hi to Bobby. Bobby. Yeah. I hate that she has to turn the cart because it doesn't make any damn sense. Right. Why, Why would she would she turn and then say hello. Yeah. yeah it doesn't make any damn sense. But. They could have framed that better. Yes. But I, I thought it was well. I thought it was creepy and I liked. It's a sinister ending. It is a sinister ending. And I'm all for that. And at first I was like. Is and this might be insulting because I read a lot about how feminists really didn't like this movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What are you talking about? It's sort of like on your side. It's men are shitty and women should be able to dictate the direction of their lives. Isn't that a good thing? Did you just not understand that it's satire? Here I am calling women idiots, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's not what happened. So I looked it up because I was like, there has to be an explanation. Yes, they talk about how Betty Friedan. Walked out of a screening. She didn't walk out of a screening. Here's what happened. Columbia got Eleanor Perry, the woman who wrote the screenplay to Diary of a Mad Housewife, which is about this woman that feels sort of like her husband mistreats her, doesn't value her. Uh, She goes to therapy and the therapists all talk down to her and all of that stuff. And she ends up carrying on an affair. And so anyway from like five years earlier. This woman, Eleanor Perry, wrote the screenplay for this movie based on a 1967 novel by Sue Kaufman. Uh, They asked, Columbia asked her to put on a special screening for like feminists of note. They're like, this is made for feminists. Nobody's really talking about it. Maybe screen it for these women and have a sort of like consciousness raising session afterwards and talk about the movie. So they sat through the movie and Betty Friedan left after, like, during the consciousness raising session. According to a New York Times article at the time from 1975 by Judy Klemsrud, who wrote the article, about 10 minutes into the awareness session, Betty Friedan, who had spent the day in Washington attending the funeral of Anne London Scott, a vice president of the National Organization for Women, so, like, probably not the best time stood and with a voice quivering with emotion said, quote, I think we should all leave here. I don't think we should help publicize this movie. It's a ripoff of the woman's movement. Not that they didn't understand what was going on. They just thought it wasn't a good. It was a bunch of men making a movie about the women's uh, movement and undercutting it. Like one woman says there's a line about bra burning. Eleanor Perry herself says, men made this film, right? The producer, director, and screenwriter were men. Then, referring to a line in the film about bra burning, she said, if I ever hear that bra burning thing again, well, it's just something no woman would have put in as a line. And so, like, even Perry was like, yeah, yeah, I get it, but, like, why are you so staunchly against this? And Fredan's point is just like, no, they're just trying to make a buck off the women's movement, and I'm not okay with that. It was the commercialization of it that really was that was her problem. But I totally disagree because 
again, I know Ira Levin's previous work, so I know that he just was a feminist, and that's okay? It's okay to have men as allies? Yeah, so here's where it continues on from there. So uh, it says she grabbed her coat and walked out, followed by three other women. Um, The awareness session ended with the remaining women pretty much agreeing that the movie was junk, should not be taken seriously, and that women should write and direct their own movies if they're ever going to have any intelligent women's pictures. And you had your own comments about that. It's one thing to wish that women had been more involved in the making of it. I agree. Right, but you had comments about how Joanna's kind of dumb, our heroine's kind of dumb, and the men win because they're smarter than her, right? And they're not as emotional as her. Like, that's, I think, more their problem. But here's where it goes from there. A more favorable reaction to the film, or at least to some of its ideas, emerged a bit later at a smaller gathering around Eleanor Perry's fireplace on Central Park South. I loved it. Those men were a lot like the men I've known in my life, said Gail Green, the writer. They really do want wives who are robots. Perry agreed. The film presses buttons that make you furious. The fact that all the Stepford men wanted were big breasts, big bottoms, a clean house, fresh perked coffee, and sex, I thought sure Betty Friedan would stand up and say, yes, this is just the way that men treat women. Uh, Lois Gould, who called the movie junk, said that it nevertheless had raised several questions in her her mind. Among them, when a man has the perfect wife, wife at home, does he still go out and cheat on his wife? But you know something, she added with a smile... Now, remember, a woman wrote this article, but I'm sure there were men editors. But you know something, she added with a smile. I wouldn't mind having a robot housekeeper. (laughs) Come on. Did you really need to end this article with that line? It's like at that consciousness raising session where it just turned into conversations about how nice some of the home cleaning products were, right? Mm -hmm. Like, ah! (laughs) but they are saying that yes some of the things the movie is saying are right and accurate and it is good that there is sort of a consciousness about it this article itself says this is like one of the first mainstream feminist films Friedan's problem with it was yeah made by a bunch of men from the male perspective doesn't know what they're talking about like really what we want is we want more products made by women for women and by all means Yes, I totally 100% agree. But I guess the question is, what are you trying to do with the movie, right? Are you trying to convince people that this is the case and that if men thought this way about women, it would really suck? Then don't you want something that's maybe a little bit more commercial, that's going to be seen by more people, that's going to maybe be a little bit more successful? Those are two different goals, right? The goal of getting more women behind the camera and writing these scripts, and getting them involved in this process, and I think it is hugely important, it is very important, but I don't think that you can just write off the idea that something that has the potential to be popular and might change people's mind just has no value. Like, of course it does. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of going to bat for this movie when ultimately I thought it was it was okay. It was good. But it wasn't great. Going back to my line here, You know how much I love a patient film, but this was too patient for how little it has going on at any one time. It just made it so boring. Sort of my wrap-up of this movie. Wow. It's not that the movie didn't have something important to say. It's just that it didn't say it very well, I think. What do you think? I personally do not mind that this was made by a man. Would it be great if it had been made by a woman? Yes. Would there have been probably an, an even better perspective? Sure. 
But we didn't get that. And I'm pretty happy with what we got. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think it's a big deal that there was a man writing books from the trying to help men understand the perspective of women. Help men see that they are assholes, you know? Like, help men see these problems that they have created in our society. And... I personally think that this movie is entertaining, and I do think that it has a lot to say. And sure, the ending does suck, okay? Honestly, that is the only reason I think I said I ever preferred the remake. Mm -hmm. You know? Because the remake has a more satisfying ending. Yeah. But I think that this is a much better film, and I think that... You know what? I think the ending is very scary. And if you're trying to go for a horror, which Ira Levin truly was, then I think it is a good horrific ending. Just like at Rosemary's Baby. Do I wish she took the baby and ran out the window? Sure. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's something real about it. And yeah. that's even more terrifying. And, you know, sometimes we need horror movies to go down that path. And sometimes we don't. It just depends on... Right. Depends on it, you know, and sometimes it would be really difficult. Like, I'm really glad that Get Out has a happy ending. Right. The, the, the original ending would have really sucked. Well, I think it's important to note that not every, not every movie can be every movie. Yes. Right? Like, you have a movie, it cannot be every movie. So it's impossible for it to satisfy every single need. Because as hum humans, we have conflicting needs and desires, and... If every movie was every movie, then we'd only have one movie. Yes, exactly. I think it's very good, and I think it has a lot to say, and I think that it's useful to the women's liberation movement. Speaking of this New York Times article I mentioned, which I will be sharing on Twitter, so follow us there if you're not already, the way they describe the movie in 75, so like at the time, this isn't like revisionist history, which I'll get to in a little bit, um... Because the film includes a consciousness-raising session, which deteriorates into a discussion of the wonders of Ezion spray starch by the wives who have been robotized, and frequent references to the women's movement, The Stepford Wives is one of the first films to deal with feminism in any manner, which I thought was, you know, pretty interesting. Now, is it the first film? No. But it's one of the first movies in the mainstream to deal directly with feminism. And that's important, I think. So, Kelsey, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Maybe like an 83? 68. Ooh, wow. Yeah. The Stepford Wives' inherent satire is ill-served by Brian Forbes' stately direction. Maybe. But William Goldman's script excels as a damning critique of a misogynist society. I think for sure, I think William Goldman's probably the more talented of the two men making this movie. Uh, Metacritic of 54, cinema score not applicable. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? I think that's underrated. What would you give it? I recognize the issues you have with it as a film. It could have been more tense I recognize that it might be boring to some people. The ending is a bummer. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I, I kind of like the ending. I think it's an appropriate ending. Yeah, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to do. So I- I'm going to say 77. Okay. Yeah, I think that um, the ending's important because it inherently asks you a question. Is this what you want? Because even if you only kind of agree with the men, like if you're an asshole, let's just be clear, and you agree with the men on some level, or you maybe even just relate to the men. I think relating to the men is fine, this movie says. You know, like, I get it. We understand. But if the men were to get what they want, is that what you want? So, like, it's basically asking you, even if you can somehow deep inside you in some way relate to these men and their desires, you understand why it's important that we don't get that, right? (laughs) I think that's what the movie is saying, and I think that that's important, right? So, 77 from you, I don't think I can get into the 70s for this movie. Oh, wow. I think, you know, honestly, I think 68 is a pretty accurate score for this one. I think it is good. I don't think it's great. It is almost like a a shadow of Rosemary's Baby, and that's my biggest problem with it. Um, I think it's very, very interesting, but it wasn't as good as I was expecting this movie to be. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think 68 is kind of spot on. I don't know, Kelsey. It's been weird lately with our ratings on these movies. (laughs) Well, that takes us into our remake on this double feature. The late night double feature show. 2004's The Stepford Wives. Once again, based on the book by Ira Levin, this time written by Paul Rudnick and directed by Frank Oz, who we just talked about on the show, directing one of our favorites, Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. Starring Nicole Kidman, Bette Midler, Matthew Broderick, Glenn Close, Christopher Walken, Roger Bart, and John Lovitz. Tons of stars, apparently most of whom hated their time on set. And clashed with Frank Oz. In particular, Bette Midler, apparently. Yeah. uh, The way Frank Oz described it, he's like, you know, yeah, I did not do a good job on this. I could have handled the whole situation better. But specifically about Bette Midler was that she had stress coming from outside this production. And she brought her stress to the production. And that was detrimental. But, yeah, even he recognized that he didn't do the greatest job interacting with his actors. <laughs> I mentioned the name Roger Bart, which out of the entire list of actors is probably the name you recognize the least. But I bet you it's actually probably a name that you recognize a little bit, as Roger Bart is the basis for the character Roger from Rent. Really? That's where he gets his name. Jonathan Larson and he were friends. Oh, wow. Yeah. I recognize him because I was a big fan of the producers. And I, when I was, God, I, I just turned 18 and flew to uh, New York as part of a college class, seeing a lot of Broadway shows, including the producers, which was the main reason I wanted to go. And he was Carmen Ghia in that. Hello, the living room of renowned theatrical director Roger Debris, elegant Upper East Side townhouse on a sunny Tuesday afternoon in June. Who may I say is calling? 
Listen, you broken down old queen. He was drunk. He was hot. You got lucky. Don't ever call here again. Who was that? Wrong number. That's probably where I recognize him, but you might even recognize his voice because he is the singing voice of Hercules. Which person? The gay guy. Their friend. That's the voice of Hercules? Yes. How funny. It's the singing voice of Hercules. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, hey, Alan Menken again. We were just talking about him. Yes. In Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so just as a as a refresher, because I know you'll probably recognize every single one of the names that I mentioned, except for Roger Bart, but he's obviously pretty damn accomplished in his own right. Kelsey, what is this version of Stepford Wives about? It is the exact same story, just with a different ending, basically. Yeah, and, and a different tone. We'll get to that in a second. And... The characters start out different. Like, it has a different thing to say because it uses different characters. Yes. These characters are not the same characters, but it is the same story. A, yeah. A stressed out couple, uh -huh. very stressed out couple, is going to move to the suburbs to get some R&R. &R and uh, what they find is crazy suburbia. Mm -hmm. The movie is available on Spectrum On Demand or to rent for $3, except it's $4 on Apple for some reason. I think because it's the only version that's explicitly in quote-unquote HD. Uh, you can buy it for $10 unless you go to YouTube and Google, at which point it's only $8. Kelsey, should people watch The Stepford Wives from 2004? Unless you're a fan of the original, I think you can skip this. I would agree... To an extent, I was shocked to discover something that I do not remember from when this movie came out. Oh, there was a whole lot of this movie I did not remember. Just how, like, satirical everything was. How on the nose and how, like, it's supposed to be a comedy. It is. It's not enough of one, and it's not well executed enough. But I was surprised uh, by that. I will say, I hear people say about this movie that it's like, you know, how dare they ruin the legacy of the incredible original. And it's like this weird sort of revisionist history thing going on. I mentioned that I that I was going to mention a revisionist history, uh, that the original was some sort of critically acclaimed masterpiece. It very much wasn't in its own time. As we discussed that, that's just not true. <laughs> so it's weird that people are like upset at this movie in some ways because it it doesn't respect the original. It's like, well, people never really respected the original. Yeah, I. but I get it. I, my biggest issue is the way that they portray our main character because they, like you said, it is very satirical, but it is way over the top satirical. And so to make her character funny, they decide to make her... More neurotic. Very neurotic, yeah. very... Self-centered, very, 
Oh yeah, feminist she is to the point where like it's not feminist anymore because feminism is supposed to be equality, and she almost wants no. It's it's more an imbalance of power. Well, yeah, definitely. It is more sort of sort of uh, apologia for the men, where it they're the victims, and that's why they do what they do. Like we need to ego stroke the men a little bit more if people are going to watch this movie. Um, she is kind of oblivious to the fact that her husband is unhappy, and that kind of makes her a villain. And she's also when, what we meet of her in the very beginning, where she's some television executive and she's creating reality television trash, and she seems to not care about art or any sort of quality or concern of anything hum- human. Uh, it makes her kind of a villain, and then yeah. she's a villain to her husband. And yeah, she's the hero of her story, but it's it like it feels the need to make her a bad guy character that needs to be redeemed, and it also feels the need to, like I say, ego stroke the men by changing the ending. Mm-hmm. You know, and and explicitly, our main character has to be like, no, this is a man. You know, and it's like, oh, gee, we didn't need that. The men can be villains. It's okay. Mm-hmm. That said, I laughed a whole hell of a lot while I was watching it. Yes, there are a lot of funny moments. Glenn Close is very funny in this movie. (laughs) Great. Especially at the end. She is really good. But you mentioned the ending. Boy, oh boy, does that ending suck. Oh, yeah. They have to. They have forgotten about that. Even more than just stroking the male ego, they have to make another woman a villain. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, you You missed the point of the original. You did not understand yeah. what they were trying to do. They were, They wanted to go for something fun and yeah. And that sucks. I'm uh-huh. sorry. That really sucks. Yes, Glenn Close is really funny, but what they did with her character is a big, big bummer because it, there's really no point to this movie. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I agree. I see what you're saying. I think I think I agree. Like the original had something to say. Yeah, this one absolutely does not. And so I'd be fine with that. It, not every movie needs to say something. That's totally fine. But then it needs to be better at what it's doing. Yeah. And th- and this isn't. But again, it's better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> you know, it's it, a lot worse than I remembered it being. Which is fair. But like, I don't know. I I I feel like Frank Oz didn't go hard enough. Just like we mentioned with M Night Shyamalan in the happening, <laughs> except it's a little more obvious what he was going for in this one. He just didn't do it enough. Give me a little shop of horrors without the music. You know, that would be great. Something that that requires a little bit more inventiveness on his part. It just felt like. It's one of those movies that's relying on, oh, it's the magic of computer-generated imagery because it's 2004, you know? And no, Frank, dude, the whole great thing, what I love about you and your ingenuity is how you can make all this stuff practical. Give me more practical stuff. Amaze me with what you put on the screen. And he just didn't. It's just kind of a bummer. But again, I liked it more than I thought I would. (laughs) But you're saying no? Yeah. I think you can give this one a pass. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about the 2004 version of The Stepford Wives. The women of Stepford are perfect, charming, 
sexy. These Stepford women, they're a whole other dimension. This summer. Imagine if you could streamline your spouse. She could be next. Nicole Kidman, Matthew Broderick, Bette Midler, Christopher Walken, Faith Hill, and Glenn Close. What have they done to you? The Stepford Wives. Good morning, Joanna. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the Stepford Wives from 2004 begin? With a pretty great intro. A great, I wrote down, well, I already like the title sequence, this sort of like retro-futuristic kitchen, like expo, you know? <laughs> like showing off all the great, you press a button and the shelf comes down, or you know, like that sort of thing. Something that you might see in the Carousel of Progress. Yes. Like the original Carousel of Progress. Or if you go to Disneyland and there's the, uh, the that Imagineering thing that they have there, they show you like the future home. But... Imagine that, but made in the 60s, made in the 50s. That's what you get here. It's this fun little montage, and I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. Yes, I I do enjoy it. It's a bunch of commercials, and it's showing housewives just ooing and aahing over all the wonderful things. Yep, wearing dresses with aprons on. And, and heels yeah. uh-huh. and all that. Pearl necklaces. Then we meet... Nicole Kidman's character, Joanna Eberhardt. She is a television network president. And yeah, she shows these terrible shows that she's created. And we see this one man's life just be utterly destroyed. And he shows up to the event to try and shoot and kill her. He is not successful, but it's really bad publicity. And the network ends up firing her. Yes, which sends her down a spiral of just depression and like all this time passes and she's wearing all black and she doesn't mm-hmm. come out and it's like i don't need this i wrote specifically is the president in a cutthroat industry thing really necessary did we need that again making her kind of a bitch mm-hmm. making it make sense why men feel the way they do right and that's the biggest problem <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the first movie it, it recognized that men might feel a certain way Right? But it didn't try to validate that feeling. Here's the biggest problem. Here's probably the biggest problem. What was the feminist issue with the original? It wasn't made by women. Uh Uh-huh. What have we not learned? (laughs) This one isn't either. (laughs) What, 40 years later? Yeah, and it it digs a bigger hole from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Did not have women in charge. Uh Again. Uh Uh-huh. Misstepping all over the place. Yep. And I mean, like I said, at least the original, it had a point, it had heart to it, and this one does not have that. And it just, I think it shows how far backwards we've gone. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I've written down Billy Bush. <laughs> yeah, he, he appears. And I also wrote down, what is this? Are we going to get to the movie? Like, <laughs> we were watching a lot of the, the clips of the new shows that they came up with. Mm-hmm. And it's like a clip after a clip after another clip. And I'm like, are, when does the movie start? Mm-hmm. Why are we still watching this? And then I ended up writing down, okay, so this is a comedy. You know, here we go. I wrote, I thought it might be funny, the remake in general, going into it. But not like Scrooged level absurd. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, I think, shine a bright light on me. I think I did it. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of the tone it's going for, is Scrooged. Mm-hmm. And it's just not hitting it. No, it is not reaching that level. Yeah. 
And besides which, it shouldn't be. I would have been fine if it was, but it needs to be better. Anyway, we finally meet her husband. Yes, okay, so this is an interesting change because she is a ball-breaking bitch, right? Walter Cresby, played by Matthew Broderick, and you might notice they don't share a last name. Because, you know, that's what feminism got us. It got these women in seats of power, and they won't even take their husband's name. And but it's then like, her last name shouldn't be Eberhardt. That's her, that's her maiden name. His name is Cresby. No, I thought that in the original, wasn't it Ingalls? Yeah, no, no, no. They're, what they did is they wanted, to, they wanted to keep the character name of Joanna Eberhardt, which is what the character name was in the original. But they needed her to keep her last name for the story, so they gave the husband a different name. Men, totally not getting the fucking yeah. point. <laughs> it, her name should be Ingalls. They specifically totally talk missing. about totally missing the point. how she wanted to be an Ingalls still. Yes! They specifically talk about that in the yes. original. And they couldn't even do that for this fake person. Yes. <laughs> but so she will end up saying to her husband, who left the, the business with her, but the only reason he was working there was because she was there. She says to him, maybe I've made all the wrong decisions. Can we start over? And so they decide to move to Connecticut. When they get there... Finally, we get something of actual comedy in Glenn Close. Yes, Claire Wellington shows up and greets them. She's already at their property. And she meets the little boy, and he's he, and she's like, you must be so-and-so. And he goes, duh. Yeah. And she's like... <laughs> and she says something about how, oh, aren't oh, you... just a- as handsome as yeah, his father. Uh-huh. Then she says to the sister... Kimberly, aren't you just the cutest little bug's ear? She says... Bugs don't have ears. To which Glenn Close says... Isn't she sassy and a little sad? (laughs) I'm like, oh, this is great. This is fun. Yes. I want more of this. Glenn Close is really funny. (laughs) And then she says, and this must be Joanna, who's still in the car, and turns to Walter and says, electroshock. To which Walter says, yes, but she's doing much better. (laughs) And she says to her, hello, little Energizer. <laughs> like, she, she thinks she's being sweet and, yes. like, welcome to the neighborhood. And it's like, love Glenn Close in this. Yes, Glenn Close is great. She strikes the perfect chord. Mm-hmm. Until they ruin it in the end. Well, that's just what they do with her character. But what Glenn Close does <laughs> is perfect. <laughs> when they go inside to this enormous house, she's like, I call it cozy. <laughs> And it's a smart house, which doesn't go anywhere. Right. You expected, like, the house would be working against them in some way, controlled by the villains. Mm -hmm. But it's not. Not at all. In fact, the robot dog is on her side. That, oh my god, that robot dog is so terrible. It's very not real Give me a practical effect, please. Yeah, we have these things. These things exist. There's no way you couldn't make it a little bit better. Especially since the first time it's introduced to you, it's at like the top of the stairs and it barks. And then it tries to walk down the stairs and it can't do it because its legs are a little stubby. (laughs) And it just like tumbles down the stairs. And it barks again, showing that it's okay. And it's like, if that was practical, I mean, come on. It would have been way funnier. Yes. But it wasn't. The next day, like, I maybe, I, I thought it was supposed to be the next day. Nicole Kidman's, like, walking around. Suddenly there's all this f- furniture. And I'm like, where did all the furniture Yeah, she wakes from? up in the morning and her house is fully furnished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't talk about that. No. Does not come up at Some all. Some sort of, like, dropped threads, like with the smart house. Mm-hmm. 
So Glenn Close will take Kidman on a drive to see Stepford. And she shows her the men's association. And then she shows her the women's day spa, which is new. Because in the original, that was kind of a point of contention is that there was no place for women. She asks her... Well, then what do the women do? And Glenn Close says, the day spa or whatever it is. It's this for is, day spa. This is really funny, although I don't think it's actually saying much of anything here. No. But it's really funny. They go in and they're all wearing the, you're supposed to think the over-the-top ridiculous 50s dresses. I personally love that aesthetic. Uh-huh. It's, if, it's a beautiful aesthetic. If I could get away with wearing it without looking like an asshole, I would. <laughs> But you can't, so I don't. Plus, but it's a lot of work. It is. Do you really want to do all that work just to mop the floor? <laughs> so, Nicole Kidman is, you know, in shock of what she's seeing, and there, and she's like, "We're gonna work out." She's like, "You work out dressed like this," and she uh-huh. goes, "Of whatever we do, we always want to look our very best." I mean, why imagine if our husband saw us in? Worn, dark, urban sweat clothes with stringy hair and almost no makeup. And then she describes what Nicole Kidman is wearing. Uh And I love Kidman's look of just like, oh my God, you just said that to my face. Yeah. And it's almost like, almost impressed. Like, I can't believe you did that. But so they work out. It's very silly. They they do it to Walter Murphy's A Fifth of Beethoven, you know. Da-na-na-na. That song? Uh, But yeah, they're pretending to be washing machines or whatever. (laughs) But I absolutely love when Glenn Close says, they're Claire aerobics. And this one chick says, because her name is Claire. (laughs) Today you are in for a special treat. Because we are working on a series of exercises which I've personally invented based on simple household tasks. I call my program Clairobics because her name is Claire. I was like, man, these jokes are funny. Yes. Can I get more of this, please? Can I get more of a commitment to this tone? Mm-hmm. She will then see, or maybe this is, no, yeah, this is her husband seeing Women carrying golf clubs, wearing heels. Yeah, acting as the caddies for the men playing golf. So in this one, these men will really treat them like slaves. Like, it's yes. not just like they're doing they're doing whatever they want to, but it's, you know, all about the house. Like, this is, like, specifically, they are being kind of slaves to their husbands. Uh-huh. At the 4th of July party, Nicole Kidman will show up being the only one wearing black, of course. Yeah. But I thought that her dress was way over the top. I was like, why would you why wear that would to she a wear picnic? That? Right. It doesn't make any well, sense. Well, she's supposed to be out of touch. Right. But when they get there, all the women, of course, again, wearing the big 50s dresses and the, and the heels. It's really funny. When they approach, Matthew Broderick is wearing this really hideous outfit. Oh, yeah. And the lady goes, I love your new khakis. <laughs> I guess that's what they mean by... Banana Republic. Yes. <laughs> and Nicole Kidman again is like, what? <laughs> Walter? <laughs> but, but he's being appreciated, Kelsey, and that's what men really want. Mm-hmm. And to use their wives as slaves. <laughs> yes. But this is where she will meet Bette Midler. 
Yeah, who is a famous author and who recognizes her in turn. Yes, they they are aware of each other because they are both very feminist. Uh-huh. But she goes, oh, my God, I love your new book. What's it called? About your mother? I love you, but please die. Yes. <laughs> it's very funny. That was a good one. And then they also meet. Roger Bart. Who is so great. He is so funny. I love him. Yes. He has some really great moments in this, and I'm really glad that he's in this movie. <laughs> but they all know of and admire one another. Yes, Roger is an architect. And so th- they're all sort of traveling in that same sort of circle in the New York elite, right? So then it's going to be said that they're going to do square dancing at this 4th of July thing. And I was very irritated because who square dances? All of our main characters who would hate to square dance. Who do, who does not square dance? The entire rest of the town. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, it's just like, come on, put a little more effort into this. Yeah. Like, you could tell that the space was too small. They couldn't have everyone be doing it. And so it makes it really awkward that why would it be them? Why wouldn't it be all the other people who wanted to square dance? Yeah, but it's they, we just needed to see that it's... They, they're bumbling and they don't know how to do it. And they're not incorporating well yet. And they're not having fun. Well, one girl starts to malfunction Mm -hmm. and instead of keeping it you know grounded they do an over-the-top ridiculous cg of her dancing around sparking around the the barn and it looks really dumb and Uh very unrealistic right but she's just you know she keeps saying yippee-ki-yay yippee-ki-yay do-si-do do-si-do and it's really sad and the husband is like worried about her but then mike shows up and Mike is Christopher the, Walken is the version of Diz. Yeah. Instead of working for Disney, this time he works for Microsoft. Uh-huh. And he will take over. And what's upsetting about this is that Nicole Kidman acts like she should be in charge, but I'm like, That's, you're not that a doctor. That really bothered me. She was so insistent upon herself that let me through, let me through. I need to see this and I need to be a part of this and there's no reason I should be here, but how dare you try to keep me out? And it's like why Why do you need to be involved in you this? You are not a doctor. You don't know any better than anyone else at this party. I understand that you're curious and you want to see, but you're like acting like people are trying to exclude you and nobody's trying to exclude you. You're just being very insistent upon yourself. Mm-hmm. And he calls her out on that later, but the movie frames it like he's wrong. And that's the thing. I don't think he's wrong. I think they're making her a weird villain character. It's so bizarre. Well, I do agree that it doesn't make any sense that Mike should handle it. He's not a doctor either. Yes, but they don't. She doesn't know that, right? But like, it's just none of the scene works. Uh huh. I one hundred percent agree. I could not agree more. And they just take her away without calling an ambulance, which at least in the original they bothered to do that. For at least for, she notices that they go the wrong direction, not towards the the hospital. But in this one, they don't even bother with that. They just take her away. Yeah. Nicole Kidman does see Christopher Walken sort of like snap the girl's neck back into place and there are sparks. Which everyone will say was not true later later on because she was far away at that point. So... But yeah, you're right. Uh, Matthew Broderick that evening will be like really upset with his wife for the way that she behaved. And he's like, why can't you see that your behavior makes people want to kill you? It makes people try to kill you. Not everything is about you, he tells her, too. But then he says to her, you've been nothing but snide and suspicious. And it's like, oh, cross the line. Uh There she has every reason to be. Now you're just gaslighting her, you (laughs) fucking asshole. Uh Uh-huh. 
And he says, that's it, marriage over. And that's when Kidman starts to it's cry. It's not like a snottiness thing. It's just like, I, I can't, like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, we came here to heal something, and it's it's just getting worse. I, I, we, I gotta call it quits. And he starts to leave. And yeah, you're right. She cries and says, you're right. Yes. You're goofy. You're handsome. You're my Walter. Because he asks her, why do you love me? You do your silly victory dance when you beat computer chess. (laughs) And he's like, fine, but you have to really try. Like, no more black or whatever. Yeah, there is a really good line for one reason and one reason only. First of all, we're in the country now, so no more black. No more black? Are you insane? You heard me. Only high-powered, neurotic, castrating Manhattan career bitches wear black. Is that what you want to be? Ever since I was a little girl. (laughs) Which is great. She wants to be that. She should be allowed to be that. And I love that that was sort of the perspective that it took. But it still takes that away from her by the end of this movie. Yes, it does. It still establishes that, no, she's a villain for wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. Really? Come on now, movie? Mm Mm-hmm. But so she has now become friends with, like we said, Bobby, who is actually now Bobby Markowitz and Roger Bannister. Bobby and Roger. And for some reason, they end up going to that woman's house. I forget why they go there. But to check up on her and investigate. Oh, because she's the one who got hurt at the yeah, dance. Yeah, uh-huh. And, and it happens to be open and they sneak in just like they do in the original and they hear them having, again, the best sex of their lives and they're just like... How's that possible? And again, it's kind of shitty. It's uh-huh. just because he's unattractive. Uh-huh. And it's just like, she could love him for who he is. <laughs> Jesus. They they try to hide when she's going to come downstairs because he asks for like a glass of orange juice or whatever it is. And so she's going to go downstairs. So they hide and Roger finds the remote control that, that has, has her, her name, name on it. it. Yeah. And it's a very stupid gimmick because it doesn't make any sense. If this were real, like, you wouldn't be able to, like, it would be able to do more things than what it does. Right. And it also doesn't make sense what it does. Right. It makes her, like, go back and forwards in a really weird way and it makes her boobs get bigger. They just needed this visual gag happening behind Roger so he doesn't see it. Yeah, none of them see what they're doing. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... A very stupid, over-the-top, silly joke. Agreed. But they will go back to Bobby's house where we will get to actually see Bobby's messy kitchen. And this is way over the top. It, she Like, it's a, it's a crime scene how messy it is. Yeah, it's an absolute, like, I think... I think most women would, when you say a pigsty of a kitchen, I think we all know what that means. Uh-huh. This is not that. This yeah. is a hoarder's kitchen. Every Yes, it, that's a good description of it. It's very much a hoarder's kitchen. And John Lovitz, her husband, is asking, you know, throughout the movie, asks if she's cleaned the kitchen or whatever. And she makes the argument that no, number one, her therapist says that she thrives in chaos. And number two, she's writing her new book. But again, it's to the point of, okay, if she's writing a book, again, like, this is kind of what I was thinking about earlier, like, she deserves a maid. Like, if if right. you're both working, then Hire you need somebody someone to clean. to clean. Yep. Okay? But, like, also, it's to the point of disgust. Like, they have trash plit everywhere. Like It she makes John Lovitz more of a dickhead, too, because, like, I'm sorry, but if it gets to that point, 
and you are so adamant that it's the woman's job to clean up. You're disgusting, That you're just going to let your... Yeah, both of you guys are disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. You both suck. <laughs> Again, we need to be clear. It's not just a dirty kitchen. Who gives a shit if she had a dirty kitchen? I wouldn't have cared. It's that it's this weird sort of hoarders, somebody's going to get a disease walking around in here kitchen. Mm-hmm. But while there, they're all talking about how they're all very unhappy with their marriages. And we we hear from Roger, this is the first thing we're going to hear about that. He's like, you've become a gay Republican yes. about his partner. Which is hilarious. And he's like, and he said, what's wrong with that? <laughs> That was really funny. Uh (laughs) They will go to a book meeting, and they're like, when Kidman starts to talk about the book that she's read, Glenn Close is like, that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss the most important book out there right now. It's this Christmas catalog. Well, it is probably the most important book any of us will ever read. Yes, it is provocative, but it is also inspiring. The Heritage Hills Special Edition Golden Deluxe Treasury of Christmas Keepsakes and Collectibles. Keepsakes, yeah. Now, I will say I really love this about Roger. Is he, this isn't like, I don't think it's a two on the nose gay joke. Like, that's the shitty part of it, is that it is kind of a gay joke. But Roger is like, Oh, actually, no, this book is actually really good. And he's totally into all the yeah, Christmas he's stuff. Clapping. He loves all that stuff. And fine, he's just unashamedly into this stuff. And I did like that. That they weren't like, oh, if you like arts and crafts, then mm-hmm. fuck you. <laughs> You're not a real woman. You know, like at least it's not saying that, you know. Right. This is actually saying the opposite is that he's a man and shouldn't uh-huh. like this stuff. Yes, which makes it a shitty gay joke. But yes. I did like Roger as a person in this. I felt like Roger was me. I was, I was like, I see myself in Roger. Like, I'm like, I get the appeal here. I just don't want to be a fucking robot. I want to have other interests. Right. But I also love this shit. Everything's pine cones. Oh my god. I love the chapter on pine cones. And then they just talk about pine cones and all the things you can do with them. And I love Bobby. Her first thing, they all like, oh my god, I love that idea. Is that she sells, she's going to She's going to put Big Jew yeah. in pine cones outside <laughs> like, her house. Oh, they're trying to be accommodating. I know you might feel a little uncomfortable because a you're... chapter on Jewish stuff. On, on, on Hanukkah. Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I just put uh, big 10-foot letters out of pine cones that say Big Jew? And everyone pauses and Glenn Close kind of gives her a look. And is like, I love that idea. <laughs> It's very funny. And then it gets ruined with the men's association where we see. For the sake of a stupid, idiotic joke. We see. Like a really stupid joke. We see, like, to to explain to Matthew Broderick what is going on, they show you that one of the women works as an ATM. And it's just like, do you not understand how ATMs work? She puts her card. She puts her husband's card in her mouth and then cash dispenses out of her mouth. And and it's all covered in saliva and everything like that. So it wouldn't be very effective. But like, I know this is stupid and pedantic, but all I could think about is, okay, but where did that money come from? Mm-hmm. You had to load her up with cash first. And at that point, you have the cash. What's the point of making it an ATM? Yes. She could just give you cash. Yes. 
Like, I know it's pedantic, but it means that it's a poorly structured joke. It's really that dumb. That wasn't thought through. It's really fucking dumb. And if you can, if she's so mechanical that you can, like, put things inside of her, like money, how is that at all sexy? Right. Uh-huh. And Matthew Broderick makes a funny joke because it's not clear. I love that they, I do actually really like this. They don't make a point of like, oh, he's come to a realization or anything. They let you leave this scene as like, well, this is an absurd movie. Maybe this is just an absurd moment in an absurd movie. And he's treating it like it's a magic trick or something. And he just says that, oh, she dispenses ones or whatever it is that he says. You know, Singles. Singles, yeah. And it's because he recognizes that he's the odd man out here. Yes. He recognizes that he's he's smart enough to know... I can't make a big deal out of this because these people obviously don't have a problem with killing people. Yes. And I think that is an interesting path. Well, it's starting it's starting Matthew Broderick down the path of being the movie's real hero. Yes. Which is a fucked up turn in this yes. update. <laughs> I think it's an interesting path, but yes, it's like you really, really, really don't understand what the first one was trying to do. And the do first you? movie was already criticized for being too like man focused and trying to co-op the women's movement. And now here you are going even further, digging that hole even deeper. So then there's like a bake sale, which is interesting because in the original that was one of the things that the guys said at the when she's getting her picture drawn. Oh, that's about one of the, the fundraiser things, things. Yeah, that's one of the things they mention is a bake sale. Well, so at this point, Nicole Kidman has sort of agreed. Yeah, to she's give it trying. a shot. She's going to try. She dresses in brighter clothing, and now she's baking a thousand cupcakes, a ton, tons of cupcakes, it, to the point where it's ridiculous. Yes, uh huh. Like you can only make so it's many an at a time. Thing. But again, I'm. Fine with the absurdity because that's the sort of absurd humor it's going for. If they just leaned into it a little bit harder, if they, I feel like if there's just too, just a little too much realism in this movie for me not for me to ignore those sort of idiosyncrasies, you know. But so John Lovitz and Bette Midler will show up, and John Lovitz is like, "Why don't you make cupcakes?" And she's and she says to him, "Why don't you?" And that's. That is exactly, exactly how it always has felt. It's just yes, like, uh-huh. why do I, why do you uh-huh. expect me to do it? We both work. His why on earth? makes him an asshole, but makes the moment funny. She asks him why he does it, and he's like, uh, because I have a penis? And it's like, yes, it establishes him as being a total dickhead, and it, which is good, because he's getting, he's starting to fall for all that men's association bullshit, right? But see, here it almost makes more sense because they both have careers. So it's like we uh are equals in this relationship in that we both are pulling our weight financially. Like it's not like in the past where one was completely supporting the other. Uh So this it's just like exactly why don't you make them? We both work. Right. And so when they're leaving, Nicole Kidman asks Matthew Broderick, when are you going to be home? When do you think you're going to be home or whatever? And he looks at John Lovitz who rolls his eyes and then he turns back to Nicole Kidman and says, when I get home. She's super fucked. Yeah. But Kidman just says, okay. Because <laughs> she's trying she's to be She's giving nice. it a shot. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
But so they decide to break into the men's association. Just to check things out. And we find out that Roger is being sort of feted tonight. Yes. And they're talking to Roger and his husband. And it's interesting because the men apparently hear a noise and it is the two women. So they send Roger to look for it, which I think is really odd. Well, I think they all look, but he specifically, he it's easy for him to get away from all these men because he's not like into all this male shit, you know? I love when they're talking to him and one of them goes, you go, girl. And I love his like, uh, <laughs> He loves I that they're trying. fucking love that. So, yeah, so Christopher Walken is like, no, we don't give a shit that you're gay. We're a very open and inclusive and accepting neighborhood, and we're happy to have you here. And then there's, like, sort of this moment. It's like, okay, well, that was a little awkward. Where do we go now? And somebody just says, like, you go, girl. <laughs> and it's just sort of giggles when he says it because it, like, feels liberating to <laughs> say something like that. You know, <laughs> He's having fun. <laughs> I'm being included in the gay experience. This is new and fun to me. You know, and Roger's like, you know, that's really cute. <laughs> but when Roger sees the two women. Upstairs. He, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like supposed to be a scary moment, but it's just Roger. And they're like, what are you guys doing? And he's like, oh, the men folk. I, I love that interaction. I love him. Yes. I love everything this guy does. And he's not like offensively gay. You know, like he, like he very well could. But the be. husband feels like he is right because he almost feels ashamed to be seen as anything other than traditionally masculine. Yes, and that's the real problem here. It's not so much that you need to be that sort of flamboyant gay, but it's the fact that you're ashamed not to be traditionally male. You know, mm-hmm. that's the problem that the movie's trying to say, which is great. Totally for it. His husband's kind of a dickhead. <laughs> yep. No, not kind of. He is. <laughs> he's a huge dickhead, yeah. Because so- remember, he's like the Charmaine, right? Roger's sort of... They have a character named Charmaine in this. She's just a side character. But Roger sort of fulfills the Charmaine role in this trio of people who are just normal, you know? Exactly. But so... He's going to be told by his husband to walk into a room and he and he's all cute. He's like, I feel like Nancy Drew and the mystery of the midlife crisis. And he walks in, and it's a really sad moment. He sees something. We don't. He looks see down what it over is. a balcony where something's being revealed. Yeah. And he turns and he looks back at his husband and he goes, Jerry. And it's really sad. Yeah. He, it's like he's realizing what's about to happen to him, and he's yeah. like, This is what you want? I can't believe you would do this to me. Right. But the problem is, there is really nothing he would be looking at. Great point. I agree. You're supposed to think he's looking at a robot. A robot version of himself. We will find out that one of the changes between the two movies is that these are just actual, the women, the just, they're the women who's had chips inserted on their brain. Also, doesn't make a lot of sense why they move and have robot parts and why they spark and stuff like that when all they've done is put chips on their brain. Mm-hmm. It's all they've done. Mm-hmm. So there's no internal consistency to this world. None. None whatsoever. Uh-huh. Just stupid, cheap sight gags. Mm-hmm. Which is a bummer. Bad. But yeah, it is a very heartbreaking moment. Yes. Jerry? Yeah, it's Fucked. The way that the women will realize that this has happened to their friend is they will see that all of his most loved, um, over-the-top 
in some people's eyes, gay shirts have been thrown out. You know, his favorite shirt, the Dolce & Gabbana. Yeah. Uh, and then they find one that's like, Vigo. <laughs> it's a shirt that just has Vigo Mortensen's face on it. <laughs> Again, this is 2004. This would be right around the time that the whole entire trilogy is out. Uh, Return of the King is winning its Best Picture Oscar. Like, it's fucking huge. <laughs> and then they are invited to this big thing at the town gazebo or whatever. Yeah. And it it ends up being that he is running for mayor or senator or something. He, yeah, he is running for, like, uh, the... House of Representatives or something, some sort of government position, whether that's the Senate or the House, I don't know. I don't remember. But, like, why doesn't Jerry just do that himself? <laughs> but he's exactly. also running as a Republican. He's wearing a Brooks Brothers suit, which Nicole Kidman points out that he would never be caught dead in. <laughs> and he's just sort of just normal. But I think the, th the thing is that they never comment on is that Jerry knows that Roger is the interesting relatable, likable one of the two of them. And that in order to be this sort of like gay Republican that he is, he sort of has to lose all of his likability. I do love when he's giving his speech, he's doing his, this very straight man voice. Uh -huh. He says something about just because I'm gay doesn't mean I have to be blah, blah, blah. I'm no sissy. <laughs> yes, I'm no sissy. <laughs> However he says it, I don't remember specifically, but yeah, he says it in a very funny way. Because now I know that being gay doesn't mean a guy has to be effeminate or flamboyant or sensitive. I'm no sissy. I <laughs> know! But, and they say at the end, they are chanting, you can't stop Stepford. You can't stop Stepford. Which is a very scary thing to say. Uh-huh. So that's when Kidman's like, you know what? We need to get the fuck out of here. We are leaving with or without you to her husband, Matthew Broderick. And she decides to go and get her friend Bobby to come with her. She wants to leave. Yep. And she's already been turned too late. The kitchen is spotless, spick and span. Mm -hmm. By the way, it is a massive kitchen, but of course it is at Stepford. Now, does she need to stab Bobby to find out that she's a robot? No. And for good reason. Because she's not a robot in this version, I guess the movie is really not clear on it, like we said. She lets her hand burn. Yes. She doesn't notice that her hand's burning, nothing happens to it, but she's not a robot. Again, yeah, that is going to be human skin, and it is going to be, like, her real brain just amplified and controlled by these chips. So, yeah. Completely inconsistent, completely unrealistic, just a silly comedy so, yeah. that has no point or grit to it. Is it that night that Nicole Kidman breaks into Matthew Broderick's office to go on the internet? Yes. She goes onto the internet and she finds out that all these women were once powerhouse women. Yes. Boss ladies. And I think you could say boss bitches because that includes... Champion Terrier Missing, her dog is a Stepford wife, <laughs> except it's fully a robot. You see how I'm talking about, like, it's very confused on what the actual conspiracy is. Mm -hmm. And I think that might have to do with reshoots, things like that. But yes, the dog is, is one of them. I thought that that was a really fun joke. And again, more like that. It's a silly joke. Yeah, it's not very dignified, but that's not what this movie is trying to be. So it should have really leaned into that sort of thing. Like the idea that, yes, her dog is... Oh, because her dog wakes her up, doesn't 
doesn't the dog like whine at her or whatever? And he's playing with her remote, which doesn't make any damn sense because she hasn't had the thing done yes. to her yet. Uh-huh. But I think it's more of a ceremonial thing. You hand over the remote right before the trance, sort of like a see this could be yours, you know, sort of thing. But yes, and then the dog shows up with the remote, and Matthew Broderick is like, "Honey, are you okay? No, I'm just having trouble getting to sleep." Well, no, this is when he's going. They're going to have it out here, an, an argument where he's going to say. You're better at everything. Yes. It's a sort of emasculated excuse, right? The men feel emasculated. He is tired of being, to quote him, the wind beneath her wings. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is a fun little reference to Bette Midler there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so she's just, he's just like, I'm very, like, wh- how am I supposed to feel about that? And she's like, why don't you feel lucky? Why don't you feel privileged that I chose you? Right. Like, but I'm then, this incredible woman, and that's not enough for you? But but then again, the problem is, is that, think back to the original. If, if the roles were flipped, she's tired of being a supporting character in her husband's life. You know, and that's perfectly reasonable for her. So if you flip the genders... It would need to be perfectly reasonable for him. So what is this movie trying to say? But she doesn't, she's not mad at her husband for being successful. She's mad that she isn't allowed to be successful. He is simply mad that she that is she's successful. she's too successful, yeah. Uh-huh. Like there's but, nothing holding him back. He could do whatever he wanted to. But he spent, he got the job working at the network to... Try to make her, her happy and, like, sort of level her off when she's starting to lose her mind. And it's, I did it all for you. I moved houses for you. Yeah, martyrdom. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. It's very much the men become these weird sort of martyrs. But then they go back to that same argument that they did in the first one, which we didn't mention. That if you were honest with yourself, you would admit at how genius it is. And how... the if. Women would want to do the same thing to their husbands. You're just upset that we got there first. That we did it first. And Christopher Walken's going to make the same argument to Nicole Kidman in a little bit. Yeah. They will end up going to the men's association. All the men will be there. It's all about turning Nicole Kidman this time. They're going to show a very silly promotional video. Which is great for one reason and one reason only, but go ahead. Uh, where he's like, it'll be our way of getting, like, we're going to go national or whatever. And it's like, no, you're not fucking going national. You're not going to advertise this as a service. It's it's just a stupid joke. It's so stupid. And I feel like this is a a reshoot thing as well. Like, I think there were a lot of reshoots on this movie, and that sort of muddled the through line Mm -hmm. through it all. I'm okay with all of this just simply for how it's punctuated when he turns the video off and the screen goes back to being like a tapestry painting thing on the wall. (laughs) You just hear a voice in the background go... It's a painting again. That's John Lovitz. Yeah. <laughs> so good. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's a painting again. <laughs> but so Nicole Kidman is going to be like, seriously, is this what you want? You want women who are slaves? And Walken has an excuse for every single thing. And she's like, do they say I love you? And they're like, do they, Mike? And he goes, of course they do. And she goes, yeah, but do they mean it? Right. And that's when they're going to put them in the... She's just kind of given up at this point. She's like, oh, I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, and they're in the center of this of this room, and then it lowers them down in an elevator. And this light 
comes out and it's just because they don't have any way to show you what's actually happening. Right. So they just put this ridiculous CG light there to co- to cover everything but up they and do, it's so dumb. They do make a point that it is a private experience between husband and wife in that little advertisement and it's important that it is a private experience between Walter and Joanna. But so you're supposed to think that they went through with it at the next thing we see. It's a party and everybody uh-huh. is perfect, including these two. And everybody is dancing and they have this big waltz scene. But while the waltz scene is going on, Matthew Broderick <sighs> runs downstairs. So Matthew Broderick hands Nicole Kidman to Christopher Walken. Oh, it's great honor to be able to dance with you my lady, you know, sort of thing. And so he goes off with Glenn Close. And then when Glenn Close is talking about the refreshments or whatever, she turns around and he's gone. So this doesn't make any sense. Nicole Kidman is supposed to be a distraction, but he just walks away. Well, because he can do whatever he wants. He's the man. So she's dancing with Mike. They think Mike is in charge of everything. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And so it doesn't matter how he treats Glenn Close because she's a robot. So who cares? I I think this might be part of the reshoots. Like they changed the ending because they also it doesn't feel strong enough that Nicole Kidman is supposed to be kind of seducing Mike Christopher Walken, like distracting him by expressing how much she loves him and how, you know, fluffing up his ego, basically. But I I really didn't get enough of a sense of that. But the point is, is that Matthew Broderick's going to find the secret lab downstairs. He's going to see all the little things that show readouts of all the different women. And he sees all the the animation of the brain chips. And then he just taps at buttons. And they keep showing that over and over and over again. That he's just blindly tapping at buttons because he's an idiot. And he's going to eventually turn off. Somehow he turns off every single one of them. And it's the way they show it is so stupid. It makes it again look like they're fucking robots, which they're not. But this is my point. I think they needed to change the ending to be a happy ending where you can reverse it. And if all these women are robots, that's not something that you can reverse. So they straddle this line between are they robots, aren't they robots in order to get this happy fucking ending. Well, the way that they show that they're changing is they have the women stop and there's this bright light that shines out of their body. Their heads shine back and their mouths open up. Yeah, no, it's pretty bad. Beginning nano reversal. It's an apocalypse. Glenn Close <laughs> comes up to them and goes to Mike. You got to do something, and she screams, "It's an apocalypse!" <laughs> I wrote down that is hilarious. I need much, much more of that, please. Glenn Close is great. Mike, there's something unspeakable going on in the ballroom. You have to come right now. It's an apocalypse. She's so good. They first reveal that Nicole Kidman is not a robot. She never went through the process, and they spend all this time where Mike is just baffled. Wait a minute. How are you not a robot? Oh, but you charmed me so. You know, and it's, again, I feel like, oh, I didn't get the impression she was charming you. Like, it was very poorly done. But I wrote down, there is so much more going on right now. Why is the whole movie stopping for this one completely unnecessary moment? It felt really weird. That's right. I didn't change her. And we get that moment of... Him being the savior. Yes. Where she gets to say, no, that's a man. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. Why are we jerking off the men in the Stepford Wives? Yeah. Yeah. Instead, we get a different reveal. He's coming after Matthew Broderick. And so Nicole Kidman comes after him with a poker 
just like in the original. I thought it was a shovel, but something. Oh, maybe. Hits him over the head. And Glenn Close is like, don't you touch him. And yeah, she hits him and his head comes off. He is a full-on robot. Yes. And then Glenn Close has her little breakdown. You're not a robot. I'm a lady. (laughs) (laughs) The reveal of Mike being a robot actually is pretty funny. And Glenn Close... She gets this whole fucking story where we get a lecture where, again, everything fucking stops so she can exposit her history out to everybody, which is annoying. But again, she's really funny. She's having a nervous breakdown this entire time. Does anyone have a screwdriver? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to put her husband's head back on. Yes. It's so good where she is actually a genius. But again, she's, she's the, the one, villain. Yeah, she. but it makes her the villain. Right. Because she realized what was wrong with her. She's the reason her husband cheated on her. She killed her husband and his lover. Uh-huh, which so is she, a fun little, like, dropped reference. And I'm like, oh, that's a fun thing. Yeah, but again, you don't want the women to, to be, be the villain. The villain. Yeah, uh-huh. You don't want the women to be, like, this is the problem with Fresh. You don't want the women to be part of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. You are missing the point. Sure, okay. Yeah, and she goes on about how she just wants women to be dignified and beautiful and the men to whatever. <laughs> and Roger's like, she's fabulous. Because remember, everybody's changed back now. Yes, uh-huh, and Roger's normal again. It's just great that the women are mad and they get to do retribution on their husbands, except that the way that they choose to do it is really lame. Yeah, so, okay. So while, the, while all this is happening, all the women who are no longer robots have decided they're going to line up and prevent the men from taking any action by acting as sort of a human wall. What they are, They're all so coordinated. They're not upset. They're not asking what's going on. Like, it's a completely unbelievable scenario, at the center of which is the only likable thing about any of this, Glenn Close doing a wonderful job. <laughs> Until she then kisses her dead husband's face and, and gets electrocutes, electrocutes herself to death. And, and dies. like, this is so bad and dumb and stupid. And then I write, everything wrapped up in a too neat and scripted bow with this Larry King moment where all three of these people, because remember, they're the famous people from New York, so they're all three together on Larry King to talk about... Even though all the other women were, were also, also... huge... Really important Industry people. giants. Yes. Including, we haven't mentioned Faith Hill, who's like the main sort of like woman that everyone's ogling is like the prettiest woman of all of the Stepford Wives. And she was this huge media mogul or whatever, right? Yes. Even though all of them are supposedly huge... These three in particular are the ones who get to be on Larry King together, have this totally scripted moment where they explain everything that happened. And, and it's not even that they all three save them. If you're going to talk about the people who save them, it should just be Kidman and her husband. Right. Uh-huh. It's it's too scripted, too neat. It's hated, hated, hated this ending where they have these funny little lines that they bounce off each other. Well, Larry, you know, like sort of that sort of thing. And we come to find out that because Matthew Broderick was not involved, he was never arrested, but they did negotiate a sentence for all the men where they are under house arrest, still in Stepford. And they can go and there, then we, we go to the, supermarket, just like the ending of the first one, but instead of all these robot women, it's all these men struggling to know what to do. Being forced to do it. How to do the shopping. Which, like, it's it's an interesting dynamic, because in my household, my dad did all the shopping. My dad would be the only one who went to the grocery store. It's the weirdest thing. Like, I would go with him or whatever, but my mom never went to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's just weird. So whenever I see that as the dynamic of the dads just 
where do I get this toilet paper? You know, where where can I find that? You know, it's just the weirdest thing. Like, really? <laughs> it's also just so fucking stupid because it's just like you just look at the fucking signs. Right? I don't understand yeah. why anyone would be confused. But then as they're starting to talk about, I don't know how to do any of this. And John Lovitz is there, obviously. You get a woman over the loudspeaker of like, no talking, just shopping or whatever it is that she says. And they go, oh, oh shit. And they scramble back to going down the aisles looking for the products and that's how the movie ends i wrote big old mess i feel like it should have been more inventive and fun i laughed out loud several times but otherwise it's not big enough Mm -hmm. more frank oz is what i wanted more of glenn close i wanted a women's a woman's perspective i wanted this to be sure i'm saying from the perspective of if we're going to get this movie if we're going to get this version it should have been more frank oz but to your point... Just think that this just is a big old mess. It does not know what it wants to say. It does not understand what the original was saying. It It's a disappointment for sure. But it was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was I a didn't lot. think it was going to be that at all. I thought it was a lot more moronic than I remembered it being. I will absolutely give you that. It is very moronic. So what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 54? 26. Whoa. In exchanging the chilling satire of the original into mindless camp. First of all, chilling satire of the original? Would you say that the original is satirical? No, they're saying this is a satire of that one. No, in exchanging the chilling satire of the original into mindless camp. They're saying they took the original, which was chilling satire, and turned it into mindless camp. I wouldn't see how, yeah. Again, I think it's revisionist history. Yeah. But in exchanging the chilling satire of the original into mindless camp, this remake has itself become Stepfordized. I wrote in parentheses after this. What does that even mean? (laughs) What are you even talking about? (laughs) Like, yeah, this movie was not great. And it was a bastardization of the original. And you could talk about that. But like, do you even know what you're saying? You just thought you were going to say something clever? Anyway, a 42 on Metacritic and a C-plus cinema score. Is that overrated or underrated? The 26? 26 from Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I'd say that's underrated. What would you give it? It's pretty fucking low. I'm going to give it a 50. I think 50's perfect. I'm going to give it a 50, because it did. It made me laugh several times. I mean, I could I could go lower if I wanted to be upset about how much it does not understand what the original was trying yes. to do. I could go way lower. I could go higher for other reasons, too. Mm-hmm. That's why I think 50 is like nail on the head. Yeah. It's a bummer because when I realized what it was and I didn't know what it was going to be, I was like, oh, oh, this could be interesting. And then, and then it was completely let down in most ways. Which is such a bummer because it's an incredible cast and a director that I like. So what the fuck happened? But see, what I re- what I remembered most about liking about it was the happy ending was the fact that the women got to win. Yeah. You know? And I think when, when I saw this... But they had to be saved by the man who did the right thing. Right, totally. And I, you know, this was me back in high school, so I right. don't remember all the things I was thinking. But I do remember, des- like, liking the this one better than the old one because I was like, fuck this shit! The men win? Fuck that! Because uh-huh. I just did not... See what it was saying. Right. And now I do. (laughs) 
That is 2004's remake of The Stepford Wives. And that is the end of our double feature. The late night double feature feature show. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week, it's Mother's Day. Mother's Day, which means what, Kelsey? For Mother's Day, we're going to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, Dream Dream Child. Dream Child, hence Mother's Day. About a pregnant girl. Uh Uh-huh. And her baby. I think we had a recommendation to watch this on Mother's Day, but we had already planned to do that. Yes, but... So, Marcus... We do hear you. We did hear you, but we, I think we already had it set up as as this is when we were going to watch Nightmare 5. And we're going to pair it with Under the Shadow, which is a horror movie about a mother and her child in Iran. Yes. And they're like, what, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I remember really liking it. It's very good. But there's like an unexploded warhead or something in in her building. Well, maybe, but mostly I remember that they're just living in a very dangerous place, but they also have a gin that they're dealing with. Yeah, but yeah, it's about about gins. I have an Iranian friend. I remember asking her about this because she like still has family over there. She goes there all the time when she can, I should say, but she had never seen it. <laughs> so I need to ask her if she's seen it yet to see what she how she feels about it. It is actually made by an Iranian filmmaker, Babak Anvari. So excited about that, about that, watching it for the show. I haven't seen it since it came out like six years ago. I thought it was more than that. Wow. So Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, Dream Child, and Under the Shadow. Looking forward to it for Mother's Day. That's next week. Until then, you can find us at our website, podcemetery.com, or on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? I can't figure out this, Berg. It's like maids have been declared illegal, and the housewife with the neatest place gets Robert Redford for Christmas. And believe me, if that's the prize, I'd enter. But nobody will tell me what the contest rules are. Cheers. I don't To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Smoldings and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones Alright, I guess she's just gonna chill there. You're gonna interrupt quiet time, I just know it. Alright. Quiet time starts now. Oh, that was mean. Quiet time starts now. Come here. All right. Quiet time starts now.
Son of a bitch. All right. Let's try that again. Can you just be pet and not make noise? Quiet time starts now. What's your deal? Is the air too quiet? Things are too quiet? No, you can't. No. <laughs> Please, sit down. All right. Can we get through quiet time? <laughs> starts now. Okay, that'll have to be good enough. <laughs> Are you going to let me record our fake ad? You will if Kelsey scratches you, won't you? Oh, maybe not. <laughs> hey, what do you if, you... if you just say out loud what you want, we can do it for you. And she just walks away. Late night, double feature, picture show. She cooks as good as she looks. I would have stabbed the shit out of him with that thing. Why aren't you sassy and a little sad? I love you, please die. I feel like Nancy Drew. It's a painting again.